following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And- CWN is Sean Oliver. My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast here in conjunction with the WZWA Network. I am your host here today, California Inferior. Unfortunately, uh, my co-host Jack Wallace is not with us tonight. Uh, He has an early day tomorrow, but I do as well. So I think the difference between he and I is, is that I'm a man and he's a boy. And speaking of a man... I've got one here tonight that I'm very excited to be talking to. He is a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion and one half of the West Hollywood Blondes and the Rainbow Express. He is the one and the only Lenny Lane. Lenny, how are you going tonight, my friend? Oh, thanks. Thanks for that introduction. I'm doing great. Um, and And I have to say, of all the places I've ever been, I said if I would live somewhere else besides Florida, it would be Australia. I really liked Australia. Um, you know, I toured with, I think it was the, what was it? The AAW or AW? Uh, the World Wrestling A-A-W- All-Stars. WWE. Yeah. yeah, so we got to go over there and I thought that was great. I, I really liked your country. Oh, thanks, man. And you, you're welcome to live here anytime. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to uh, start the interview off just asking about how you became a wrestling fan. Okay, so we're going to date myself a little bit. Um, 1978, um, my parents were in the restaurant business and we bought a restaurant to really kick off things. And, uh, it was a coffee shop and we lived upstairs of it and black and white TVs and whatnot. And, um, I was scrolling through the TVs one day, through the TV one day and up come Georgia championship wrestling, you know, Gordon Soley, all these people. And I was hooked. And at that time in my life, I said I was going to be a pro wrestler at age seven years old. I didn't know how to become a pro wrestler. I seen they were big. So what I had my parents do, you guys have Kmarts over there? It was a big super. Okay. I had my parents go get me a set of dumbbells at Kmart. And from that point on, I would do the routines in the uh, book that came with the dumbbells. Yep. And I would do them routines. You don't have to move up in dumbbells a little bit, but I started exercising and really through that, it kind of made me who I am. It made me realize hard work, routine, dedication. If I didn't do something and didn't get the result I wanted, it was on me, stuff like that. And it shaped me as a person and uh, learned, uh, helped me learn how to make goals and accomplish goals and evaluate and reevaluate and all that stuff. And, and it's, and I apply all that stuff to my life now. Right, cool. I mean, uh, it was kind of similar for me with wrestling, although a few years later um, when I, uh, I just saw it on television and then I was hooked. But uh, the difference between you and I was like, I, I would have loved to have been a wrestler, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't think I had the uh, dedication like you clearly have uh, explained there. Uh, that's, you know, I mean, when I, I don't know how old you were when you picked up those dumbbells. Were you a teenager? I was uh, seven when I seven. started. Holy and my shit. Fa- and my father actually knew the promoter who ran the arena in Duluth, Minnesota. That's where I grew up. The AWA used to run there. 
So I would get to go to the matches, go backstage, meet the high flyers. I've met Andre the Giant as a young kid. And I, at this point in my life, I'd never seen a midget, right? And they had the midget wrestling. And so me in my head thinking, well, I would tell my dad, hey, talk to Harvey Solon. He was the promoter. I need to wrestle that guy, you know, right. because I was the same size as him, even though, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, wow, I can wrestle. I can wrestle. So I'd tell my dad, tell Harvey Solon the next time these guys come to town, I got to wrestle that guy because he's my size. So <laughs> that's kind of how I got the whole introduction into pro wrestling. Of course, you never know how to get into pro wrestling. Now, not yeah. like days, everybody opens up a camp and, you know, you could read the dirt sheets a little bit, except I didn't know about the dirt sheets. So I was a big basketball player in high school. I played all the sports, went to college, played uh, football at a junior college. And a guy in my hometown named Dave Siegfrieds, he wrestled as Mr. Dynamic in the independence, did a lot. They liked him as an enhancement talent in WWE. He would go in there and work there. I mean, look great. Um, so I went to a, went to cop school and ran into a guy who knew him. And so Every time I would work out in the gym and I would see this kid, his name was Benji Lanner, who was a friend of this Mr. Dynamics. I would always be curling the weights and be going, Mr. Dynamics sucks, Mr. You know, just to get a pop out of the kid. Yeah. And then one day I was in my town training at a gym and Mr. Dynamic came up and he goes, so Mr. Dynamic sucks. And he kind of <laughs> helped, gave me Eddie Sharkey's name. I immediately was done with law enforcement Academy moved to Minneapolis with a buddy of mine in his grandparents' house and uh, went to Eddie Sharkey's training camp in uh, 1995. I started January of 95. Yeah. In, in, you know, where, I don't know if you watched um, the Road Warriors um, last thing on, what's that uh, series the called? The Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah. Did you see that? Yes. Where they spoke about, and Barry Darcel spoke about going to the basement of the church and it was a boxing ring and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. that same place, except I was the only guy. Eddie would just have me take bumps. Um, Sean Waltman came down and helped me a couple times. Um, Eddie would get in the ring, you know, as Eddie was aging at the time, but you know, lock up, show me things like that. There was another guy there who would come in and we'd work on things. And that's kind of like how I got my start. Two weeks in, I showed up to a show, you know, an independent show. Now, when you go to an independent show, there's a bunch of workers waiting to get on the show and they'll probably pay the promoter to get on the show. Right. Yeah. But back then, if a guy missed, there was no other guys. So two weeks in, I'm uh, there and Eddie goes, you're wrestling tonight. And I go, Eddie, I've only been in the camp two weeks. He goes, Oh, you, you'll be fine. I said, what am I going to wear? I had the old bodybuilding biker shorts you could buy at the bodybuilding shows, you know, like the T Michaels and stuff. Right. So I had a pretty cool pair like that, but I didn't have boots. Eddie goes, where are my boots? So I wore Eddie's boots. I go, well, what do you want me to do? He goes, well, at the end, just jump off the top rope. Okay. But you know, of course in this boxing ring, you couldn't jump off the top rope. Number one, you can't climb the boxing ring ropes. And number two, uh. the ceiling on this place was low. <laughs> so that was kind of my first deal. That was my first match. I had a second match about a month later. And then after that match, Eddie called me and said, hey, everybody loves this story when I tell him this story. Right. Eddie calls me a month. I've been in the business two months. He goes, hey, I got you some enhancement matches with the WWE. I oh, go, absolutely shit. not. I am <laughs> not. No way. I'm not ready for this. And he goes, oh, you're going to be fine. You're a great bump taker. You're way ahead of the game. 
you're going to be just fine. You work with guys who knows what they're doing and they can kind of lead you through it. And I'm like, no way. So he talked me into it. I went down with Jerry Lynn, um, Mr. Dynamic. There was a guy named JB Trask, uh, Buck Zumhoff, but he didn't ride with us. But this, so this van of people are driving down there and I'm, and I'm nervous, you know, not really nervous, but kind of unsure of how things work, right? I've never right. been backstage to a WWE event. Of course, I've went to many growing up and loving this business and wanting to be a part of it. But so I went, so the guys are telling me, this is when they used to tape like five hours. They'd tape four shows in five hours, right? Yeah. So they'd have the boards with your names on it. So the Jerry Lynn and JB Trask, who've been to these things before, are telling me, oh, don't worry, you won't even work. You're new, blah, 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 blah. I get to the show. I'm the first match on the first board. Yeah. <laughs> Them guys didn't even work. Oh, really? Like, what the, <laughs> what on earth? And who was it with? Barry Horowitz, right, right when they were starting to push him to be for that Candido thing. Right, okay. The, yeah. Okay. So um I get with Barry and he talks with me and Eddie, by the way, has told me to tell everybody I've been in the business three years, had about 500 matches, you know, so I'm already being taught to lie, you know, but I, I was smartened up a little bit by Mr. Dynamic to tell me, you know, believe none of what you hear and half of what you see in this business, you know, so I was always, I always kind of would never get excited about things. You know, when I went right. to Japan and somebody promoter called me and said, Oh, you're coming to Japan. I'm like, Oh, great. You know, most people might be, doing cartwheels and stuff but i knew until you have that plane ticket in your hand physically you're not going right. anywhere right yep. i feel yeah so i go with i i have a match with barry and it seems like i'm going to be the heel so i i get on him or there was really no heel baby face i guess so i get on him in the beginning and then right in the match hebner was the ref he leans in and goes go home and I kind of look at him, go home. <laughs> nice. I don't know what the hell he's talking about, right? So I keep doing what I'm doing. I'm doing headlock takeovers on Barry, more amateur stuff on Barry. And then we get to our feet again, and the ref leans in. He goes, go home. And I remember them saying something about, you know, this stuff is taped. So, you know, if something happens, don't worry. We may have you redo it and stuff. So I'm about to let Barry go and just get out of the ring because I figure I'm the shits, and that's why the guy's telling me to go home, right? <laughs> So Barry goes, go into this. So we went into this where I continued to eat him up a little bit more. And then he pulls a Northern uh, light suplex out of nowhere and beats me. It's like, so I like ha had like 80% of the match and he beats me with the Northern light suplex, right? <laughs> yeah. 17,000 people. And the thing was, Carl, I wasn't even nervous. I mean, the nerves went away. I felt kind of at home out there while I was doing this besides this monkey wrench of going home, right? Yeah. So I get to the back and Barry's following me around and I'm just glad to be through it, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. And Barry keeps following me around and telling me like, you know, it looks like you ate me up out there, you know, and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just, okay, thanks, you know, and follow me around. I went and got my money. He's following me around, giving me all this advice. And finally it was getting to be too much. And finally I said, you know what? I got to tell you something. I said, this is the third match of my life. I've been in the business two months. And he was like, what? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so that was that story. Me and Barry became good friends after that. And he remembers everything except he doesn't remember that. And then the second night, which was the second amount of tapings again, 
you know, I get to the building, you know, so I'm not going to work because I worked the first night. Right. So, yeah. Oh yeah. They always give you the night off the first night. There I am again in a tag match, me and Jerry Lynn against the heavenly bodies. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, this is crazy. So we get, you know, we go in to meet with the bot, you know, Pritchard and Del Rey and we're talking with our match in the ring a little bit and you know they're going to take the finish on me so they're going to get the heat on jerry and i'm going to get the hot tag and you know so they're like well, what do you want to do when you get the hot tag and i said well i can clothesline you and they you know they don't want to take bumps this is an enhancement match right yeah. the less work they do the better right yeah. yeah so they go why don't you just give me some punches and i'm like all right so i go to jerry i go jerry i don't know how to do punches he goes, come here i'll show you how so he hangs a towel over the stall in the urinal right over the over the stall in the shitter right yeah and i and he goes you got to pretend like you're holding a bird in your hand you don't want it to get out but you don't want to kill it right and just barely hit this so i'm sitting there throwing these working punches the undertaker walks in a bunch of other guys are watching me do this i didn't care you know come the come to the hot tag he tags me in <laughs> Now here comes Pritchard running at me a hundred miles an hour. And I'm used to hitting this towel that's hanging oh. there stationary. <laughs> yeah. Stationary. Yeah. Blast him in the face. <laughs> he goes, fuck. Does a little spin around, kicks me in the gut, gives me a suplex. And I get, su you know, the, the moonsault from Del Rey and pinned. Yeah. And uh, I get to the back and the, and Pritchard goes, man, do I owe you money or something? <laughs> I go, dude, I'm so sorry. I said, I, you know, the thing is I never threw a punch before. That's why I kind of wanted to, I wasn't confident in my punches. So they just kind of laughed it off, but <laughs> yeah, he came running and I, I blasted him in the face, dude. You know, you're out there, adrenaline's going. The bird was probably dead in my hand from squeezing it to death. And I unloaded on him because he's coming at me. <laughs> and it's funny. He just goes, fuck and does a little spin and <laughs> that was it that was my that was my introduction into the first two months of the business right there wow i had actually no idea that it was so soon after because i had it down in my notes that you worked on uh superstars and wrestling challenge but i actually did not know that it was so soon after your debut match um so, yep. that's, so those that's were incredible. the tapings those wow. were the tapings are them out there somewhere by the way i can never find that barry horowitz match um, from my research, it stated that it was a dark match for superstars. So okay. um, I'm not sure if it's anywhere, but um, I can I can do a deep dive and try and and find something. <laughs> I've got a lot of footage in my uh, in my hard drive at home, so we'll see if I can do that for you. All um, right. So uh, after your, you know, your WWF experience at that time, you spend the rest of 95 and most of 96 uh, wrestling in Minnesota. Uh, what are your fondest memories of this time period? Oh, just, you know, that's where you really find the love of independence. You know, you, you would always hope for a lot of people, but it depended on the promoter, whether he promoted it. You know, you just can't go and hang a sign on the, you know, we'd go to these small towns in Minnesota where nothing's happening. So you figure, well, gosh, the people should come to this. And when you go to the gas station to find directions of the building and they say, oh, there's pro wrestling here, you know, you're in trouble, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So we would go and I mean, we'd have the best times. Um, uh, Scott Zappa, who worked as Scotty Z was a, a good friend of mine. I had some good matches with him. Um, I had a manager named Mortimer Plumtree, David Weber, who ended up working for TNA. Yep. He was the um, manager for the Dicks. Yeah. Um, uh, great guy, uh, 
should have had a job uh, somewhere. I mean, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, we would go in the, we would go and we, you know, it, this was always my hobby, right? I did uh, stucco, cement siding, and that's what I did. And if this turned into something, so be it. And I wanted to really bad, but I knew, you know, that this is, you know, a lot of people do this. Some people get lucky breaks, some people don't. So this was my main job. And on the weekends I went and did this and we got in the car and we drove and we'd get the envelopes and it'd be thick, right? But it'd be all like ones and fives, but you know, <laughs> we didn't care. You know, we were doing this cause we loved it. We, uh, a lot of the promoters, you know, gave us the ability to uh, Northern Premier Wrestling, which was run by JB Trask, who was the nephew of Sodbuster Kenny J. He ran a lot of shows back then. And um, so I became a part of that group and we just all just loved wrestling. And, you know, that's kind of how it went. And then when, you know, fast forward a little bit, when you get into WCW and you're kind of told what to do and stuff like that, that's kind of where you really appreciate the independence. You know what of I mean? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in the independence, you have a little bit more leeway about what you can do. You can go out there and have a 15, 20 minute match. Whereas, you know, you make it to the big time and you're told you got five minutes out there. Right. Um, and then they cut it to two. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, so I, I was really interested in, uh, I mean, I, I know a bit about you. I mean, I'd say I know more about you than any of my other wrestling fan mates, but, um, uh, I didn't know that you went and wrestled in Japan in uh, late 96. You went to Michinoku Pro. And I just want to know about how your experience was there, you know, and what you liked most and what you liked least about being in Japan. Okay, well, um, Wellington Wilkins worked for Michinoku Pro, and he was a friend of uh, Sean Waltman's and, you know, Eddie Sharkey, and he was the the American kind of representative of Michinoku Pro. So... You know, I looked good at the time. I've always been in shape. I always stay in shape. I'm always ready. You know, what baffles me now about guys is when they say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to start, but he needs to get in shape. It's like, what? I mean, you're not always ready. It's a mm. knock on the business, and we'll get into that later. But so he brings me over for the big 10-10 show. You know, it's the, the, their big show of the year. And so I go over there for the first time. I'm there for 10 days for one show. Um when, 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 okay. Um, you know, Japanese crowd was a little different than what I was used to, you know, um, I got to meet the dynamite kid. That was his last match, by the way. Um, oh, really? I went out and ate. I've gotten really fortunate, you know, like Jericho and all them used to be so jealous of me when I went to, when I went over to the Michinoku and I came to WCW and they knew I was there when, uh, Tiger Mask, and when they had the six man tag there with dynamite, which was really right. sad with dynamite, you're, you know, I'm, I'm remembering dynamite as that jacked up guy. Yeah. And he was really skinny. Oh dude. He had Zubas yeah. on underneath his tights and they were still falling off and fake shoulder, fake arms. I remember I was kind of nervous about him because I heard about all the ribs that he'd done in the past. And so I went and walked around my hotel when I first got there, walked around the building in Japan a little bit to take a look at it. And as I'm coming back in, he's coming out. And it's obviously we're wrestlers, you know, because it's not, it's Americanized, but not to the point where it's so Americanized. And obviously if I'm there, he's probably knows why I'm there. So he goes, let's go eat. And I'm kind of like, oh boy, you know, I've heard of all the stories. Good Lord. So we go out and he, he tells me all this stuff. And I mean, it was just great. Just a, I'm sitting there, man, here's Dynamite Kid. One of the guys, I, I love the Bulldogs growing up and, Man, this was real special to see um, 
um, Matt, the, um, the Tiger Mask, the original, and all the guys that I worked for. So then after that sh one show, Sasuke, who was the boss of Michinoku, asked me to come back in a week and a half and do the 23-day tour. Yeah. So I did. And then I worked a lot with Hakushi, who, uh, who had left the WWE at that time and was uh, Jinsei. Yeah. Um, worked with Naniwa, loved all the guys, was amazed by how them guys could remember all them spots. And I guess that's kind of why when I came to WCW, I worked with the cruiserweights a lot because mm -hmm. that's the group I worked with, even though I was the biggest of all the cruiserweights, yeah. you know? which I think helped me in hindsight because, you know, uh, the drug use in, in sports and getting caught up in this steroid game and all this kind of stuff, I think that kind of helped me because I didn't need to be on anything yeah. because, you know, um, I was always the biggest of the cruiserweights. So I was like, well, gosh, I don't need to get any bigger because I'm already the biggest of the cruiserweights and I could work that style. And so with getting back to your question, I liked about Japan is that I learned. Um, we, we wrestled, you know, if we were there 21 days, we wrestled 17, 18 days. You know, even though the mats were like landing on the ground, you didn't mm -hmm. care because I was young back then. You could pop right back up. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the language barrier was kind of tough because Willie was the only one who spoke English. Even though a lot of them did, they, the Japanese don't like to make, I guess – for lack of better terms, make fools of themselves by messing up or making mistakes. So they won't, they had a lot of, um, they had a few star Vampiro was on one of my tours one time. So him and I got to be friends. Um, but the, you know, the language barrier was tough going, you know, I didn't, wasn't big into sushi now, like I am now. So I'd appreciate the food more if I went back there now yeah. than I did then. I mean, it was like supplements and, and anytime I could find a McDonald's, which I don't ever eat fast food and never eat fast food breakfast, but that's what I did a lot of. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the part of the tough parts of Japan. Yeah. Um, I can understand that. Uh, I, I wanted to fast forward a little bit to February 14th, 1997. You work a match with beef Wellington in Webster, Massachusetts. Uh, yeah. It was uh, an extreme championship wrestling i guess it was a live event um was this a tryout with ecw how did it come about and what was your experience like okay so um i found out uh sasuke and the group were going there um and so they called me and asked if i could be like the representative for them over there you know to help talk since i've worked with them and stuff and sasuke really liked me so we got to be good friends. So he brought me in and it wasn't so much a trial for ECW other than they were going to work for ECW. Okay. I was just there. Um, me and Willie really didn't clash well in the ring our chemistry was not good. Um, I'd like to think that I can work with anybody, but when you get uh, stiff headed guys in there that want to do certain things, it's it just, it's not good. And, it just didn't work out good. So, but what did work out good for that is, so no, it wasn't a trial for ECW. We went to Revere the next night. I didn't end up working there at the, at the dog track. Um, but we did a show on Sunday for Tony Rumble and Kevin Sullivan was there. 
And I knew Kevin Sullivan, not really as the booker of WCW or anything like that, but as his wrestling character. So <laughs> wanting to get all the information I can get, I said, hey, Mr. Sullivan, can you kind of watch my match for me and kind of tell me some things that I need to work on? And so I, I think, and I did wrestle Willie there as well, which of course that's I'm, it's not going to be my best match. So I got out of there and he goes, hey, give me your number. He says, I want to bring you into WCW. Oh, so I give him my number. And again, I'm not getting excited, you know, yeah, okay. Okay, whatever. So I give him my number and I never hear anything. Okay. So, well, and here's what I never wanted. I never wanted any help in this business. I, I mean, not help getting somewhere, I should say, I, just because I know you, I, you know. Yeah. So I never asked Sean Waltman, hey, give, give tapes to this people. You know, I was always stayed my distance and stuff. And so Sean asked me, Minneapolis had a house show. And now this is about a month and a half, probably about a month after, you know, I had heard from Kevin Sullivan at all. And Sean asked me to come in the back with him and Kevin and Scott. And I was like, eh, I just kind of like to, you know, I don't want to look like I'm a hanger on or here or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Said, well, come back. So I came to the back, went to the bathroom and Kevin Sullivan was there. And he goes, Lenny, I lost your number. I need it. I'm going to bring you in next week. And so again, I gave him my number. Next thing you know, I got a call and I get flown into Roanoke, Virginia. And I was supposed to work with Mysterio, but he had just had Dominic, his first child. Oh, uh, okay, right? yep. So he didn't show up. So I did a little run-in with uh, Regal at the end. Regal was wrestling Prince Iakea. We did a little schmoz with him, and then I was out. And then they said, listen, we're going to bring you in the next week. We want to take a look at you again. So they bring me in the next week. And they give me a television match with the Ultimo Dragon on TV. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, what's going on? What about these dark matches and all that? Yeah. Well, luckily, Ultimo Dragon had seen some of my stuff with Michinoku and let me lay out the whole match. Yeah. True professional. And right after that match, um, they started bringing me in, like, nightly. Okay. You know? Yeah. Um. So what happened from there was not to not miss out on any questions because you can always go back, but I'm, so, That's you know, cool. I'm going, I'm, I'm getting my paid nightly deal. So I go down to them. Um, I go down to a taping in Florida. I can't remember where it was. And afterwards I work with, uh, uh, I can't, ice train. I work with the James gang in a tag match. I mean, just, the Armstrongs, I can't say much more about them. I mean, my God, right? Every Ice interview train, I've done, every interview Ice I've done, sorry to cut you off, but Brad Armstrong yeah. always gets put over by everybody. Oh, gosh. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, Ice Train was, the, in his mind, the Black Hulk Hogan, yeah. but still charismatic, and I, I loved him. So afterwards, Terry Taylor brings me in and says, hey, do you want to do the 10 days in Disney? Right? That starts tomorrow, by awesome. the way. Awesome. Yeah. I've got my bag for today and that's it. Right. I don't, I have a rent a car. I think I took a cab to the building. I don't even know really how I got to the building. <laughs> and so I had met Rick Fuller once going to one of these nitros and you know, he's wearing the high techs and the fanny pack. So, you know, he's a worker plus the dude's a monster. Yeah. He's got the big hair. Yeah. So I met him and we were kind of buddy buddy as a little bit. So he was at these tapings as well. And I said, Hey, these guys just asked me to um, 
Well, for, first off, Terry said, we're going to put you under contract. We're going to give you 500 bucks a week to work Tuesday nights, right? It's just Tuesday nights. So that's every other Tuesday. So I'm like, oh, that's cool, you know? So um, after they asked me to come to this 10-day thing, I didn't have a ride. I didn't know anybody really besides Rick. And I said, Rick, who are you staying with? He goes, I'm staying with Ice Train. I go, man, do you think? He goes, well, I can ask him. And so he asked Ice Train and uh, – I, I just worked with them. So that was probably pretty good that I just worked with them. And he, yeah. he gave me some advice and stuff. And he goes, yeah, yeah, you can, you can stay with me and Rick. And uh, I remember he popped in Biggie Smalls life after death. And I don't know if you ever seen a white kid love rap music and know every lyric like I did of that album, but I was singing and rapping with him and he thought that was unbelievable. And we got to be friends and oh, cool. that's kind of how that whole thing started right there. And how did the 10 days go? Uh, I mean, I, I'm guessing this is like a worldwide tapings or WCW pro tapings or something. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty good. You know, I can't remember all the, Oh, all the guy. Oh yes, I do. So uh, my favorite wrestler of all time has always been Kurt Henning. Um, I'm yep. going to give you a, I'm going to give you a remind me to give you a surreal moment here in a little bit with Kurt and I, but okay. so Kurt at the time, has got his payoff from Lloyd's of London is now leaving Vince and coming to WCW. Yeah. Right. So he's at these tapings. Terry Taylor pulls me in the, into the trailers. Cause that's where he always met. And he goes, Hey, listen, uh, Kurt's here. And, uh, he wants to, he wants to have some warm up matches before he starts TV. And he's asked to work with you. Wow. I'm like, what? I mean, what is, I mean, what is going on? What have I done to deserve this? You know what I mean? It's like, wow. I knew Kurt a little bit from seeing him because Jesse, his brother, was on the independence when I was on the independence, right? Wow. So I would run into Kurt once in a while and stuff like that. And um, so, yeah, I got to work with Kurt. You know, I got to work with a lot of the guys. And what I really realized is when you grow up idolizing these guys and seeing them on TV, and then sometimes when you meet them in real life, you're like, Mm. man i wouldn't be your friend if you were the last person in the world some of these guys are dicks pricks i mean you name it man but there's some really good guys really good guys that i've met in this business and some i wouldn't you know i don't wish i'll just leave that to myself (laughs) i understand yeah no everyone uh, i've interviewed so far has got very similar stories i know big sal that was in the ecw his hero was vader and when he met vader he was thoroughly disappointed with the experience i got a Um, i got a i got a quick uh story about vader so brad rangans you know brad rangans amateur wrestler trained brock lesnar um was in the awa would have won the olympics in 1980 hadn't we boycotted um he, tra- you know, uh, Wayne Bloom, yep. uh, uh, Animal, Hegstrand, they used to all go up to Brad's. That's uh, Barry Darcel, uh, John Nord, Rick Rude. I mean, I just named some guys, some tough yeah. sons of bitches, oh, right? Definitely. <laughs> Took me under their wing. I was in the Minnesota clique, thanks to them guys, because, you, know, appreci- you know, I think they appreciated the fact that I listened and I always wanted to learn, but... Anyways, when I got done with Eddie's camp, I would go up there and train a little bit. And after a while, I helped Brad with the camp when uh, um, Joe Henning was getting involved in wrestling and stuff like that. So I got to help that out a little bit. But um, Barry Darso used to tell me this story about how when Vader came up to Brad's camp and they're all in there and uh, it was time to take bumps. 
And Vader says, well, I don't need to take bumps. I'm never going to take a bump. And he was big at the time, right? Huge. So Brad's like, oh, you're not going to take any bumps? He goes, come here a minute. So they come and they lock up a little bit. And Barry says, Brad shoves him off. He goes, man, you are a big, strong guy. He goes, lock up a little bit. So Brad had this little commode that had a, a like a two by four walls with panels on it just outside the ring. Yeah. Barry said, Brad went, did a, you know, they locked up. Brad went to a shoot, go behind, belly to back Tim over the top rope. He didn't hit the top rope. And I always say, Come on, Barry. You know, Vader's three-something, 350, 380 at the time. Brad threw him over the top rope, smashed into this makeshift toilet, just exploded. You know, wood went everywhere, the whole thing demolished. He's laying there on the ground. I go, then what happened? He goes, we all started taking bumps. <laughs> you know, there's a uh, baby wow. big, you know, then that way there's, there's one back for Big Sal, right? Yeah, very cool, man. Uh I love these little stories that come out. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of wanted to um, go back to that TV debut on Nitro and just um, ask mm -hmm. you about how you felt your match with Dragon went that day and, you know, how everything was received by the locker room. I thought it went well. You know, of course, if you look back at it now, you'd go, oh, my God, am I green, you know, just by how you move and stuff. But I thought everything went well. The fact that I called that whole thing put it yeah. together and he agreed, you know, I've, I thought I always had that ability to put a match together that made sense. Um, so yeah, I thought it went well, it was perceived well, I went to the back, you know, nobody's doing, you know, nobody's jumping up and down and giving you high fives, you know, everybody's probably like, Oh, who's this kid going to take my, you know, like the politics of the business, yeah. but Hey, I'm happy to be there. Um, it went well, the dragon enjoyed it. I thought we got a good reaction. Um, I Here's how unorganized WCW was at the time. So when I signed my paper to get paid and the release and everything, I signed my real name, Lenny Carlson. Well, when I get in the ring, Penzer goes, why do you got Lane written on your trunks? I go, that's my name, Lenny Lane. He goes, oh, gosh, they got you as Lenny Carlson. He goes, I'll fix that. And they call me Lane Carlson. So, <laughs> All right. kinda, you know, it's just like the unorganized I could give you so many examples of how unorganized that company was, but you know, and, we'll, be here, you know we'll be here all day, probably. <laughs> right. Right. It'll be 83 weeks all over again. Yeah. But you know what? I wish it was still around. Um, yeah. Uh, what would you say a typical day at Nitro would be like? Typical day would be, you know, we'd get there. Um, the boards would never be up. So you really never knew who, who you would be working with. And, you know, I'm new, so I kind of would like to know because then you can kind of, I can start maybe suggesting things to whoever I'm working with because, you know, that was my, you know, I never try to take over anything. If somebody asked me for my input, I would do it. Um, but um, we would never know till last minute things would get changed. It was always a run around and I always worked. So getting back to um, my 500 bucks a week, that was supposed to be, um, working every other Tuesday, I'm working every, I worked 13 Mondays in a row, right? I'd work every Monday. And then if there was a Tuesday, I'd work Tuesday, right? So at this time, Kurt and I, you know, we've traveled a little bit together because he flies out of the same place I fly. So he straight up tells me I need to quit. Right. I quit. 
He goes, yeah, you need to quit. You're on all these shows. He goes, there's people. He goes, Randy Savage's brother's sitting there making a buck and a quarter or two and a quarter. I can't remember what. Lanny Poffo. Yeah. He doesn't even work. In fact, I met him for the first time at a Tampa, in Tampa, to do a Nitro. And he was supposed to do a dark match. And he goes, talk to Randy. I'm not working. Here this guy's making a buck 25 or two and a quarter. I can't remember what he's making. Yeah. But Kurt told me to quit. And I'm like, man, quit? He goes, think about this. And he, he would always say this. And I know Brock has mentioned this in his podcast before. Kurt would always say, you get in to get out of the business. And I guess really when you first start, you never know, right? You never know about it, what he means by that. Because get in to get out. I mean, I want to get in because I want to get in this business. But he means get in to get out because this is a not a very good business. Get your money. Be good to it. You know, he, he was fortunate to have a father who kind of controlled him a little bit, unlike the Bulldogs and stuff who would spend, you know, if one bought a Jaguar, right. the other one would buy two. And you've heard all those stories. But um, so I called J.J. Dillon and I said, you know, I'm going to have to quit. And he's like, you're going to have to quit. I said, yeah. I said, you told me and Terry told me that this was going to be an every other Tuesday thing. I said, I've worked 13 Mondays in a row. I'm not making any money. I can't get back to work my day job, which I was still doing because I love my guys so much. Being on TV, it didn't matter to me. Yeah. It's never mattered to me that I've been on TV once and lo and behold, you got to go get another job. That, the wrestler, the movie, you know, how yeah. he couldn't wrestle because he was a big star or whatever. Not that I was a big star, but what you know you've got to make a living you know i had this opportunity to do what i was able to do but so i told them you know I, yeah i gotta quit he goes well, let me call you back in a minute so he calls me back probably a couple hours later and goes we're gonna give you i think it was 1200 bucks a week something like 75 grand a year okay. and then i was off tv <laughs> i'm like i'm making 75 grand a year but it didn't matter to me because i was still doing independence which i wasn't supposed to do but there was no cell phones and no videos. I mean, sometimes yeah. things would pop up and the office would come to me and go, hey, did you do an independent in Iowa? I'd go, no, that's somebody <laughs> else using my name. But so I was always doing independence. I was still working my stucco gig, plus sitting at home making 75 grand a year until you know I started working again and stuff like that. And, right, interesting. Um, yeah. I guess maybe Kurt maybe knew that if he got you to say that you quit, that maybe you would end up getting given a better contract. Who knows? Yeah. I, you know, maybe he's seen that they were using me and he didn't like that. And, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I never thought about going to WCW to tell you the truth. I was a WWF really? guy. You know, wow. Georgia Championship Wrestling was my, was my first exposure to this business. I thought about the WWF. So when the WCW came, and here's the thing, Carl, I was, man, I was going to Japan. Hindsight. Hindsight being 2020, I wouldn't have went there. I wouldn't have. Really? I would have kept going to Japan, hindsight 2020, because I would have learned a lot more and then came over there and been a lot better. Yeah. I was still, you know, I'm two years into the business when I'm in WCW and I'm still green and all this kind of stuff, you know, because when you're doing independence and not like you're working every weekend, I mean, there'd be a show maybe one weekend, once in a while you could get two shows a month. That was great, but you know, not a whole lot of ring time. We had a ring set up that we could go and train in, but it's not the same, you know? Yeah. Interesting. So, um, so you like, I guess you feel like if you did 
uh, work Japan, get yourself, you know, all that experience that you needed that by the time it would be to try and get yourself a job with one of the bigger companies, maybe you might have been able to get to the WWF. Might have been a, a better situation for me. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, during your early run, WCW work uh, with a lot of different guys uh, from Milenko, Hoovy, Disco, uh, Sean Waltman, Stevie Richards. Um, mm-hmm. That's quite a quite a roster of people to work with there. I guess it must have been pretty cool to finally get to work with Sean Waltman for the first time. Oh, yeah. That was like, that was great because that kid, you know, the kid, you know, he can go. You know, I, I seen the kid, my first independent show I went to before I got in the business after I met that Mr. Dynamic yeah. was while I was in cop school and I met Jerry Lynn and, 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 and the big names at the time were, you know, Bastion Booger had done some things on up north, yeah. but Jerry Lynn and uh, Sean Waltman were the main guys on there and then they, and they wrestled each other and, you know, you saw all their early stuff. I mean, it was a mind-blowing to see that kind of stuff you know yeah so yeah it was really fun to get to work with a lot of those guys you know you don't the tv's so fast you know you go you they tell you you got seven minutes and that's with introductions and sean had his thing going on so by the time we started man we're already two minutes in now we got five minutes and you can't really learn a lot and a good thing probably another good thing about it is you you can't expose yourself enough to show you how green you are either right. so <laughs> that might have helped me as well. So, <laughs> in, um, in short matches, yeah. <laughs> uh, you get put in the role of uh, Chris Jericho's, I guess, lackey. Uh, whose idea was this and why didn't it seem to last very long? Well, you know, I don't know, but it, well, I know whose idea was this Chris and Dean's. They wanted to build up this cruiserweight strap to mean something. And I know that was really important to them. And hats off to them guys, man. Dean and I used to have some great matches. I mean, I remember you would, I would have to have a memory like a mule to remember all them spots, but just, I was good at that. Uh, um, So I remember getting to TV that day and I'm not sure who it was or Arn Anderson or Terry Taylor always seems to come to mind because he always seemed to be my go-to guy. He was always seemed to be in my corner. So he said, you ever talk on TV before? And I go, yep. He goes, okay, because you are tonight. So I didn't know anything about this yet. But I wasn't going to say no, because I know if you can talk on TV, Kurt used to say, this is a commercial for you. You get to talk on TV. That's how you get over. You don't get over here doing all these moves and stuff. Mm -hmm. Even though when you're young, you want to do all the moves. But if you know that care, you know, people can go to Circus de Soleil if they want to see moves, right? And after you've been to two of those performances, you're done. So character is really important. So, um. Uh, so yeah, I got to work with Sean and yeah, that was, those are some great times. Um, so with, oh, uh, getting back, sorry, getting back uh, to Jericho. So then Jericho yes. came up to me and said, you know, we're going to do this thing and you know, and it went off and I thought it was going to do some more stuff to it, but it led to that cruiserweight battle Royal thing. And yeah. No, but it was, it was fun. It was good to do something other than just go over there and putting over guys with really no meaning. And Chris wanted to have a competitive match. And I thought that was a competitive match. There was a couple of near falls that the people really bid on. And then when I wore the mask with Malenko and he came and attacked me when everybody thought it was Jericho. Yeah. That was, that was amazing. 
some great TV, man. Um, I loved all of that. Uh, I just, uh, just for me, I mean, I've got, I've got some questions later on about um, how you were booked between 97 and 99, but um, uh, I just, I just always didn't understand why it, they gave you a little thing here with Chris and then it didn't, after that, there were no, no more angles involving you. Um, but I wanted to ask if you liked working with Chris. Yeah. Yeah. I liked working with Chris. He was really the only guy I remember. I remember I felt really bad. We worked on a Saturday night one time and I, and I don't know if I messed something up or um, I can't remember what I did. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. I always had good matches with them. I, at least I thought they were, but man, he kind of got on me a little bit, but I was so appreciative that somebody just didn't walk through the curtain and I would ask how it went. And it's always like, Oh, good, good. When I know it's not always good. I can watch shit on the, on the TV. I can watch the matches back and realize things that didn't work well. Yeah. But he was really one of the first guys besides Kurt giving me advice. One of the first guys to ever really get on me about something like, Hey, it was important for you to be in this spot at this time. And I was kind of like, wow, this guy's not yelling at me but kind of getting on to me about something. And I respected him a lot because he had been, done a lot in this business. He was working very hard and we know how hard he worked to try to be in the spot he was in and move up on the card and all, you know, the guy was over, right? Yeah. I mean, there was top guys that didn't get near the pop as him. Yeah. And he realized it. And that's why he ended up moving on to greener pastures. But for him to really get on me one time, I remember I was like, man, this guy is, this really sucks that he's yelling at me right now, but this is really good because this is the first time anybody's ever really gotten on to me about something right. rather than just saying the match is good, you know? Yeah. That shows that he cared. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, there was a, something that um, Christian from WWE on his podcast with Edge on uh, whatever it's called, the um, podcast that reeks of awesomeness. Um, he told a story about Jericho pranking him by utilizing a celebrity is calling.com by paying $20 to get Lenny Lane of WCW fame to give him a call about having a sore back and wishing him well. Are you aware of that? Um, I actually wasn't until one of my friends came across it on the internet here probably four or five years ago and then kind of told me about it. But yeah, I was never aware of it. Oh, right. Okay. I just wanted to know because I did yeah. some research and I thought that that was a really weird story that I found. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So I guess uh, I wanted to ask next, who in WCW would you say you got along with most during this period of time? I guess, you know, Kurt and the Minnesota yeah. guys. Um, I got along with a lot of guys. Um, I always traveled Rick Fuller when I could. Um, I started traveling with Barry Horowitz a little bit. Uh, I've I pretty much, you know, when you're up there as an enhancement talent, you get along with everybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's still you realize when their people start putting you over how the game changes a little bit. And I, you know, I thought that was pretty shitty because I never argued about putting anybody over. I'm going to go out there and work my hardest and make you look good because guess what? It's your time. Yeah. But when it's my time, I'd sure hope you return the favor. And sometimes that you don't get the same kind of vibe from guys that you've put over in the past, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I got along with everybody. Um, like I said, Rick Fuller was kind of like my guy. We, we met, we hung out, and we would always stay together at Disney's. Johnny Swinger, another good friend of mine. I was in his wedding. Now he's at Impact, and you're seeing what that character of his does. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's just fallen into that thing really great. 
Um, yeah, I, there's probably guys I'm forgetting about. Um, Stevie Richards and I used to travel a lot together a little bit. Um, so yeah, three count, I remember. And then of course, we'll jump ahead a little bit when Lodi and I started traveling together. Uh, and we can get into that when you have questions about that, but yep. Sure. Um, and you know, now that you've, you brought up Rick Fuller again, I, it, I've watched pretty much every, everything that ever aired in WCW. I don't understand why that guy never got given a chance to do anything interesting. Cause I thought he had a really good look and he was a big guy and yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on, on Rick as a performer and do you feel he, he really didn't get his, uh, Jew in yeah. WSW? Yeah, I mean, you know, they were bringing him in when Lex was racking everybody, and he was, I remember he did that, and I can't remember if he worked with Goldberg, quite possibly he did. I think he did, yeah. Yeah, they wanted Goldberg to beat everybody, but yeah, they could have, Rick Fuller's definitely, you know, he had the look, he could do things, he could move, so it, it's baffling a lot of guys, you know, would we ever talk about, you know, and bitch about shit like that i don't really recall you know us saying like yeah we need to be put over you know blah blah blah. i think we just love doing that and we would hope one day that chance would come but we were happy to be there and getting a paycheck and mike moran mean mike tough tom disorderly yeah. conduct the hangman yeah. mike man mike moran's a good friend of mine to this day and that's another guy i used to try to travel with once in a while because he likes to always say he was in the business like 30 some odd years and avoided making money the whole time. But uh, uh, that's, that's what he always tries to tell me. And, but yeah, those are another name that slipped my mind a minute. Cool, man. Um, I, uh, I wanted to bring this up. It was, uh, you picked up your first win in WCW from my research anyway, on the 22nd of September, 1998 against Lash LaRue. Um, I know wrestling is a work, but when you want to succeed in the business and get higher up on the card, how tough can it be when you're just being used to put others over for so long? Um, you know, I think it's like uh, I've always said, when you build, when an uh, architect builds a building, you start with the foundation. And then, of course, you have the top. I've always looked at everybody as being kind of equal. Of course, You've got the people who are the draws, but it's up to the undercard people to, you know, entertain the people to where they go, man, that was good too, to where everything's good. So I never had a problem putting guys over, you know, I ignore people who, you know, they'll say like, oh, Lenny Lane was a job guy, big deal. Everybody's a job guy. You know what I mean? When you get in from Austin to everybody. They were all job guys. You all start somewhere. Yeah. You know, you get lucky enough to create a character or somebody creates a character for you to where you get put over. Or finally it's time for you to be put over and maybe you, you show you can carry the ball, you know? So yeah. be prepared to carry the ball when it's your time, you know, don't, yeah. you, we can bitch and complain about things. And really what does that do? It makes you bitter and doesn't do you any well. Good. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned before, I was going to bring this question up later. Um, you went through this whole period from 97 to 99 where you, you had the thing with Jericho and Malenko, but you never really had many stories or angles. Did you ever pitch any ideas to the booking team during this period before you had the idea of your team with Lodi? No. Well, I came out with Absolution, but yes. I never, 
I never pitched that because I was told if you ask, they're going to tell you no. So yeah. don't ask, right? So I decided I had my nephew make me that Lenny Lane bottle. It said Lane Endorsements Products Absolution. I thought, I'm going to try to get real lean here and pretend this is kind of like almost like, uh, was it arrogance that Rick Martell uh, used? Yeah. The, the perfume. Yeah. That's so I, that was going to be my win. You know, maybe if I start using this spray, I can spray it in somebody's face and maybe I'll try to get my abs better every week. And so I started bringing the absolution. And of course, that was my fault not to tell the announcers because they didn't know at first when I was bringing it out. And so <laughs> I'd bring it out. And it was just kind of like separated me a little bit, right? I was feeling yeah. like, this separates me a little bit from just coming out here and losing because if I'm watching at home, oh, here comes Lane Lane. He loses every match. Once in a while, he wins a Saturday night. But man, you know, so I brought that just to say, you know, kind of as my own little thing. And of course, that went over for about three weeks till I got brought in the office and they said, why do you bring that ab stuff out there? I go, and I told them just what I just told you. Right. And they said, no, nah, we'd rather have you come out with a chicken on your head. And I'm like, what? what? You know, so they just kind of poo-pooed on the idea, I guess. But that was my first pitch to do was absolution. And to tell you the truth, I never pitched any ideas. I just showed up for work and worked hard. I didn't know that's how it worked. I didn't right. know I had to go to somebody and say, hey, this is what I want to do, you know, yeah. until Raven and Diamond Dallas Page came up to me in a nitro one night and they go, Lenny, you're too good to be just doing jobs out here. It was after I actually, I worked with Page on a nitro. Yeah. And I was the first one to take the diamond cutter off the top rope. Right. And he said, you're too good to just be doing jobs. You need to think of something for yourself. And I started, wow, you know, oh, you got to think of stuff for yourself? Okay. So that's how I thought of the gay gimmick. Right. Um, we'll get to that soon. Yeah. Uh, I have a few questions where I just want to kind of go out of left field with these ones because I've still never been able to talk to anyone who went on the WCW Bruise Cruise and I'm trying to find someone. Did you go on the WCW Bruise Cruise? No. Damn it. No, never. I can't find any stories from anyone who went on the Bruise Cruise, even if it was just a fan. I can't find right. anything on the internet about what that was like and if it was horrible or not. But um, yeah. I always saw the adverts on TV when I was a kid. Well, I'm sure it was a, you know, what I've heard, because I knew guys went on it. Yeah. It was a big party. It was yeah. another, you know, just blowing Ted's money, you know. Yeah. That's all that was. Okay. Know? Um, and another random question. I'm wearing the shirt. I wanted to know if you ever visited the WCW Nitro Grill. Yes. Yeah? Yep. I did. I did one time and when we were in Vegas. I, I went to the Nitro Grill in Vegas. Uh, didn't think much of it. I think actually it was me and Vampiro went and ate there, ate there one time when we happened to be in town for it. But yeah, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Just, we're just, we're just curious. Um, yeah. Because I always always wanted to visit it but being in australia that's quite difficult um yeah so um i was asked by somebody that you might know quite well um to ask this question um and want to know about your super duper exploding pre-workout drinks and sharing one with stevie ray of harlem heat oh yeah so before before these um super duper pre-workouts now they're all over right there used to be, Weeder came out with this thing called Metaform Heat. And it was in a packet like, you know, the old uh, 
ISO pros and the metrics, the protein packs where you tore the pack and you put it in. It was similar to that. You buy the individual packets. And I would mix mine in coffee, right? And I would, and I would screw the top on because if I didn't hold the top when I screwed in the cotton, the thing would explode, right? right. And, you know, <laughs> I did, you know, so I've never been really sensitive and stuff to caffeine like most people, but there was horror stories about that stuff. People would drink a half a pack. I had people who would throw up, go to the emergency room on the shit. And I was just like, man, that's kind of weird, right? I have so many, so many stories about me trying to shake that up at a coffee shop and not paying too much attention to top blow off onto people, blow <laughs> off and swingers, uh, all over swingers luggage one time in Vegas. But so Stevie Ray said, we got done with the taping one night and he said, he had an early flight and he didn't want to go to, or he had an early flight in the morning, but he wanted to get a workout in, but he didn't feel like it. I go, well, I got one of these pre-workouts. He goes, yeah, give me that. So I don't see him for a couple of weeks. Right. So I come back and I'm talking with him. I go, Hey, what do you think of that pre-workout? He goes, you son of a bitch. I cussed you out so bad. He said, I couldn't sleep all night. My heart was pounding. So yeah, it, it really hit him hard. He was really mad, but he had not, he'd forgot about it because it'd been a couple of weeks when I brought that up. He was like, he, I still see him and talk to him about that now. I said, hey, remember that metaphor heat I gave you? He goes, damn that stuff. Kept me up all night, man. I couldn't go to sleep. So, <laughs> not, not, the, not the person that you'd really want to get angry. Um. <laughs> right. Great guy, by the way. Uh, after you had this conversation with DDP and Raven, um, mm-hmm. You watch a bit of Saturday Night Live, I believe, uh, seeing a little skit known as the ambiguously gay duo, and you come up with an idea. So for our viewers, what was the idea, and why did you choose Lodi, of all people, to pitch it to? Okay. So after I, after I sit, they sit down and Raven and them talk to me, and it's another almost touching moment for me because it's like, man, somebody's recognizing that I work hard and stuff and has given me some advice, you know? So that was kind of nice. So I kind of went home and was thinking about, man, there's a bunch of characters in wrestling. Little things have happened. You know, I don't want to really copy anything. Mm -hmm. So I start thinking about what's going on. And, you know, at the time, Rick Fuller was uh, friends with Scotty Tuhati. And remember him and Brian Christopher kind of teetered on that a little Very bit. Very close, yeah. Very close at the time. Well, I knew they weren't going to do that anymore. Yeah. So I thought, man, I can change this up a little bit. And I remember Ace and Gary from Saturday Night Live. And I said, man, I'm going to create a character that, you know, is like a friendship. But it seems like almost more than a friendship. Right. Like, so I set out to write this whole thing. I mean, I wrote it out. Here's what I do. The first match I go down there and here's the plus about this. I can put over whoever you want to, you know, I, you know, you got some guy you want to put over. I'm still putting them over, but now at this time, the person comes down. Right. Yep. So I put this whole thing together, the whole storyline. And uh, so I bring it to Johnny Swinger cause he was my buddy. Okay. I said, Swinger, I put this thing together, you know, and he's like, oh, dude, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I think at the time, Raven's gimmick was already done. The flock was already disbanded. I think when I – and I think Swinger was going to be part of the flock. He was going to be like a blind, blind flock member at the time, but it never ended up working out. So I said, dude, 
we're not, it's not like we're going to have to kiss or anything like that. I said, but we're going to do some things that, you know, just look this over. He goes, no, really, I don't want to. Right. So I, I thought, who's here is making some money. That's a character that, that, uh, you know, they probably like, and I immediately thought of Lodi. We, we would say hi. We never really had any big interactions, him and I. But I would, I would, no, I knew who he was, and I would say hi. So we happened to be on a Saturday night live, or Saturday night taping one time. And I said, hey, man, I got this script, and I always carried it with me. I go, can you read this and tell me if you'd like to do this, if I can get it passed? And he reads it. He goes, bro, if you can get this passed, I'll do it. Yeah. So at the time, you didn't know who had the book, right? Kevin Nash had the book. Kevin Sullivan had the book. It was going back and forth. So I ended up giving it to Kevin. Didn't hear anything. What was Jericho's last night on TV before he was going up north? And he was going to go do a house show, one last house show before he left. I said, hey, man, can you give this to Kevin again just in case he lost this? So he brought it to Kevin. Didn't hear anything. All of a sudden, Lodi and I show up. It was in Kansas, I believe. And we're both at the nitro. Yeah, that's kind of weird. You know, we're both here and they bring us in the room. And I think it was Kevin that said, we're going to do that thing you wrote up and it's going to start tonight. You're going to wrestle wow. Ming. You're going to wrestle Ming. And then Lodi's going to come down and they did it just like I planned until all the heat started right with glad. And we were going to be baby faces all the time. But we started this in the South and you got to realize the South, wow, they don't right. like, you know, gay individuals in the South. So that's right. why the faggot chance happened and was live. And that's why they were having problems because they didn't have a, they couldn't do a 10 second pause because the whole arena was chanting. Right. Yeah. So they said, Oh, we're get, we got to do something. Cause we got to make you guys brothers. And in between all this, I would talk to Rick and Scotty would give us ideas you know, like, hey, Brian and I used to do this, do this. Regal and Dave Taylor and Fit Finley <laughs> yeah. would give me the Adrian Street advice. Like, hey, you should wear your hair in pigtails and you need to prance around and stuff. So that's kind of how that all came into effect. Good guys like that helping you out. Not, of, you know, not, of course, jealous of you or anything like that, but want to see you succeed. And we, we were entertaining and stuff. And then the, the office stepped in and of course they mucked it up really good because they said, we got to expose you as brothers, but they did such a bad job. Everybody pretty much thought we were married and they were like, we got to turn you guys into baby faces. I go, we're already turning into baby faces. Listen to the crowd. When we do this stuff, they're starting to like us. Oh, you know, so, but yeah, that, that's how that got started. And then when I started, when, I, when Lodi and I started traveling together, we realized how much we had in common. You know, just like everybody in the wrestling business kind of does have some stuff in common about, yeah. you know, we always wanted to be in this business together and all that kind of stuff. But we realized we liked the same shows and he was from Hilton Head, you know, and all that, you know, Dawson's Creek, that little series, that little girly series. I used to love that. He liked Katie Holmes and we used to, <laughs> we liked the train. And so, yeah, we just really clicked. It, it couldn't have, I probably, I couldn't have probably picked a better guy by happenstance i guess yeah that's awesome man um yeah when i was talking to him about it uh, very similar uh stories uh but i did not know that johnny swinger was actually uh approached first so uh, yes that, that to me is extremely interesting um mm -hmm. I, I wanted to ask uh before i get to this other thing i want to say about the west hollywood blondes um 
there was like a few weeks there where uh, a guy who ended up coming on TV and working with Big Vito and Johnny the Bull, he was known as Tony Marinara. Uh, yeah. Next, uh, eventually it'll be Tony Marmaluke in ECW. But I know there was a few weeks there where he seemed to be like a massive fan of of Lenny Lane and Lodi. Uh, why did it seem that that got dropped so quickly? Because you know, when he all of a sudden he showed up going after Disco Inferno, I was like, wait a minute, wasn't he betraying like a super fan of Lenny and Lodi? Um, do you know what the right. idea was behind that and why that? Didn't well, the come to idea fruition? was to eventually. You know, he was a super fan trying to get in on it. And you've seen all the different angles they did. And then he gets hauled out. And then um, if they wanted to make that more real, they shouldn't have showed him so much, like getting drug out by, J by the security that time. It's like, you know, when that stuff happens, they, they don't show it, right? So yeah. in order to make the believability about that, they should have never showed him as much as they did. I mean, show him so you know who he is, but... You don't follow him with the camera all the way as he's getting hauled out of the arena, you know. Yeah. But the whole idea behind that was he was going to be big Ron Reese was going to be, yeah, I'm going to bring my brother big, you know, and it was going to be big Ron Reese and we were supposed to do something with them. But we were getting a lot of heat at the time from Glad and Ted Turner was, okay. they were threatening to sue Ted Turner and Time Warner. And so they really didn't know what was going to happen there. Um, we were supposed to, at Halloween Havoc, get the belts from the Harlem Heat, but that match never happened. Right. So there was just a bunch of things up in the air at that time, but none of it ever ever came to fruition just because the gimmick was about a month and a half long. Right, yeah. Um, so what I wanted to say was you both right out of the gate, and I remember watching it, I, I, I guess I was 12 years old, uh, right out of the gate, you guys get the West Hollywood Blonde storyline over with the audience. I was thoroughly entertained watching it back in the day. Um, aside from what happened eventually when it got cut off, after all this time, you now have your first proper angle in WCW and it's succeeding. How were you and Lodi feeling at the time? Oh, we felt great. I mean, this is what you work for, right? Um, I was working with Ray, who was great. Um, some, you know, Kid, Kidman and I had some great matches. I've, I take pride in the fact I could carry Shaggy too dope through a match. Um, <laughs> it's just that, yeah, it was, it was a really fun time when you're, you're finally to the point now where you're getting put over a little bit. Not like yeah. that's everything, yeah. but um, it was great. Yeah, it's, it, it sounds like you're, you're having some fun now and um, your success leads you to the biggest moment in your career where you defeat Rey Mysterio Jr. on the August 19th edition of WCW Thunder. Uh, when were you told that this was happening and how did that moment feel for you when you won that championship? Okay, I was told that day it was at Texas Tech oh, University in yeah. Lubbock, Texas, where I met my wife, who's now my wife. I met her that day at the gym. Anyways, um which by the way, Kidman told me when I took on this gay gimmick that I wasn't going to get any more rats. I got more rats than ever. With the gay gimmick. <laughs> it was way easy then. I didn't have to sit there and spend money on you in the bar because you're ruining my gimmick. So it'd always be like, Hey, we got to go up to my room because you're killing my gimmick. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So it was way better. You know, and the <laughs> girls want to convert guys. Right. So yeah. it was all better. <laughs> so, uh, um, so, I was told that day. And then I remember Disco coming up to me and telling me that I shouldn't be winning the Cruiserweight belt that day. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? You know, this is, you know, well, you know, it's that the problem with the cruiserweight belt, they're not establishing storylines, Lenny. And I would go in there and tell them you don't want to win. I said, no, I'm not going in. I'm going to beat Glenn Jake, Ben, Glenn Gilberti up at this time. You know, I'm pissed. Right. Um, I'm like, no, you know, this is how they want it. And I remember Chavo kind of saying something like agreeing with disco. And I was like, I don't even care what you guys are saying. I'm not going, you know, this is happening. By the way, I've worked the last three nitros with Rey Mysterio, you know, so it's not like it's where they're just throwing us together and we're doing this. And that's kind of how I heard. And that's kind of when you start to see the BS happen, you know? I don't, I don't think either of them had won the belt at that point. So that sounds like to me, they're trying to get you to take it aside. So one of them could be in contention for taking Could be. Title. Yeah. Well, they were starting to filthy animals at the time. So I don't know what that was all about, you know, but yeah. yeah. Um, I want to ask you, well, actually a friend of mine and yours, uh, asked me to ask this uh what was the night like after you beat mysterio for the belt what did you and Lodi do to celebrate anything memorable yes we uh so i met my future wife and they her the gym owner came and got us and we went out to a country bar and we went just like we did all the time you know here's Lodi's and i routine we'd get up and eat we'd go train at the gym or no, we'd get up and eat, then we'd go to the mall and walk around the mall, find out the gym. You know, at the time, like I said back then, when you walked down the airport, people knew who you were. Everywhere we went, because it was the most watched things, everybody knows who you are. Now, yep. the days when the boys walk through the airport, they go, that guy must lift weights, you know, because they don't know. Not as many people are watching, right? Yeah. So we would go to the malls and people would approach us and we would find out where people go and that's kind of so we'd find out where the party was where the good bar was or something then we'd go and train and then we'd go to the building and so this particular night we had three girls pick us up and um we we um got together we went out then we went back up to our hotel room hung out for a little bit and the girls left and uh yeah that's kind of where it all started cool was man. there anything in particular that this particular person wanted me to add? I don't know. It, it was Lodi. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what else you wanted, wanted you to add, but uh, uh, if you met your wife that day, uh, you know, that's a pretty yeah. interesting, uh, you win the title and you also meet your wife, which is uh, yeah. two amazing things in one day, I think. Um, yep. Yep. And I'll tell you this, everybody asked me what I learned more about in professional wrestling. I learned the whole world is a work, only pro wrestling's exposed as a work. Yeah. That's the biggest takeaway. Gotcha. Everything's fake. It's money. It's who you know. And I think we've all seen that with politics, right? Absolutely. Everybody's bought off. All these representatives and Congress people are getting busted for their different side jobs and actions and all this kind of stuff. But it's real, right? No. No. It's fake. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a work just like pro wrestling. Yeah. It's the same here in Australia, man. It's you know you know the agenda with all the uh, politicians. It's it's a which, nightmare. by the way, my favorite show on TV is Sixty Minutes Australia. I love that show. It's really good. Yeah, I agree. It's it's awesome. It yeah. tops ours hands down. Plus, you got pretty girls doing it. But yeah, it's the 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 stories and stuff are phenomenal. I love that show. Oh, that's cool, man. Um, so I want to talk about this uh, six weeks 
six weeks you get to enjoy yourself you're flying high with this whole thing defending the belt on tv over everyone and then glad happened mm -hmm. uh what do you remember when you first heard that there was a serious problem and you end up going to have to be taken off television <clears throat> well you know we heard of the problem we weren't really you know asked for solutions and stuff like i told you they made us they said they, they were going to make us brothers and that didn't work well you know they botched that so really i sh i sh i had actually showed up um and i can't remember where this particular building was and i showed up and lodi wasn't there right and they said hey listen um we're gonna say you lost the we're gonna have you lose the cruiserweight belt to disco tonight and I'm like, okay. But then they said, you know, we can't have him on TV because they're, you know, those, you know, they're just going to know. So they said they're going to um, say that I lost the cruiserweight belt in Mexico that weekend to psychosis, I think it was. And then he yeah. lost it to disco that night. And I didn't even end up working at all. Yeah. So that's how that, that's just kind of how that worked. And I went and sat at home and we pitched ideas and, you know, we came up with a couple of tag teams here and there. We were the party guys, the rat chasers and all that kind of stuff. And we would pitch a name and they'd say, okay, that sounds like a good name. And then the next week they'd say, you can't use that name. That's already trademarked. So they oh, would shit. never look into stuff like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Lodi told me that um, the WWF were hoping to bring you guys in when you guys were taken off TV, but the office wouldn't grant you your releases. Um, what were your memories of that? Well, you ever, you probably recall somebody mentioning to that day in Vegas where Bischoff said anybody who wants out of the company can be out of the company. Yeah. And Raven was the only one brave mm -hmm. enough to step up and leave. Yeah. I still remember it. He's wearing a flannel shirt and, and uh, jean shorts and he had a comic book tucked in the back of his pocket and he just got up and left, man. It was funny, <laughs> but I was kind of hitting I was kind of, you know, so I'm already hearing from up North that they're interested. They've kind of inquired a little bit about it. And so at that point, you know, we're, I, we're sitting strong, you know, we're, I got the belt right now. We're one of the better acts on the whole show. Kiss was there that night. So I said, Lodi, man, should we leave? And they were like, eh, I don't, you know, so it was kind of like, I don't know if we should leave or not here. I wrestled Hoovy that night. And, uh, but yeah, um, so we just, we didn't do it. Um, I think we asked for our release one time for what I can remember. And yeah, of course they said no. And yeah, yeah. Lodi was saying that I think JJ Dillon said to him, oh no, you guys are going to be the future of this company and all that stuff. We can't let you go. And yeah, I do just, recall that, but I don't recall how we asked for the release or whatever. Right. Uh, so you do finally return to TV as you, you and Lodi become standards and practices, a censorous yes. duo who oppose the adult themes in WCW. Uh, yeah. This was a Vince Russo idea. What did you think of the idea? Because I know Lodi disliked it immensely. Um, you know, it was pitched to us, you know, we got to change your look. Vince, Vince called me and said he loved us, loved the work, loved the gimmick. Of course we can't use it, but I want to get you guys back on TV. I'm all about the younger guys, blah, 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 blah. We're going to have to either cut your hair or dye it. He chose to cut his hair. I chose to dye mine. And, uh, he says, we're going to bring you down to new Orleans. I remember they gave us the company credit card, me. And so 
I want this to be known so Terry Taylor doesn't get credit for this anymore. The Nitro girls were being disbanded. They said, pick one of these girls because they're all not going to have a job after tonight to oh, be in your really? partner. We said, we'll take her, Stacy Keebler, because she was David Flair's girlfriend at the time, and we oh, like David right. Flair. Yeah. Right? Uh, first time I met David Flair in um, – when Rick brought him to a show one time, David goes, dad, this is Lenny Lane. This is my favorite wrestler. This is the guy I was telling you about. And I looked at him like, you just not, did not call me your favorite wrestler. Cause he lived in Minnesota. Right. So he right. would go to the independence. Oh. So I never knew this, <laughs> but you don't tell your dad who's Rick Flair that I'm your favorite wrestler. But anyways, <laughs> so we picked Stacy Keebler to yeah. be our, or she would have been sent home and probably had to be, had to go be a pin cushion for the um, Baltimore Ravens again for a few more years being the cheerleading gimmick. Right. Yeah. So we all went, they gave us a company credit card. We went out and bought suits and stuff. And they said, okay, you're going to make a big impact. So the first night out, we get jumped by crowbar and David flair. I love crowbar to death. He's a good friend of mine, David flair. I love him to death. Does that, is that a big impact? No. Getting beat up it didn't seem right to me. And of course, you know of all the problems that occurred. And the next week we came out and took, uh, what was her name? Kimono Wanalea off the trampoline because she was bump bouncing on the trampoline. Yeah, right. And then the next night, the varsity club came and, and glommed us from behind. And then Vince Russo was out of there for a short period of time. You know, nobody would listen to his stuff. The, the inmates are running the asylum. Um, and I remember... Kevin Sullivan got the book back and he goes, do you guys want to do this anymore? And we go, no, we don't want to do this. And he goes, what do you want to do? We go, we want to be party guys who take ecstasy and chase rats. <laughs> and he goes, okay, then do it. And that's how we got out of standards and practices. Right. Um, Lodi also said to me that he didn't like working with Stacy. Um, do you feel the same way? <laughs> oh God, he used to get on Stacy all the time. I felt bad for her. You know, she's a young girl eating like shit, you know, and, she's young so she can get away with it but i remember one time she was sitting we were out there getting ready to do what we were going to do and they were kind of telling her what to do and she was sitting on the announcer's table and you could see a bunch of cottage cheese on the side of her legs you know probably like that young fat when you you, you don't do crap anymore, all right you know? yeah yeah drink and party and eat candy and he got on her about it man and she was crying really he was like hey man you can't look like shit. We, you know, you look at these legs, you know, you need to get to the gym. And I remember, man, she was crying. And, but, you know, good for him to get on her because it probably gave her a kick in the ass to become what she did up there in WWE. But yeah. Oh, I didn't really mind working with her because she really didn't besides taking away, you know, we'd run a fantastic spot and here they'd be showing her dancing on the thing. So they missed a lot of spots, missed a lot of finishes on our matches. Yeah. Um, you know, we were working with Norman Smiley at the time and, and uh demon and i just remember watching some of the stuff back and it was like well the the match just ended and they missed the whole finish because they're worried about this girl you know what i mean yeah no that stuff that's kind of one of the things that would annoy me so much about wcw is uh the finish in the ring would happen and the camera's not fucking showing the finish that would just drive me insane mm. i mean i'm not that you know critical of 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 things back then because i loved most of everything i saw but uh that kind of stuff really drove me up the wall um yeah so i i actually the next question i did have was about norman smiley because uh 
uh, thus far, no one I've spoke to has had any Norman Smiley stories. Do you have any stories about working with Norman or any personal yeah, stories? Yeah, good worker, good worker, good guy. He's good with his money. He always brought the hot plate. I'd always see this metal thing in his room all the time. I'm like, <laughs> what is that thing? This is what I cook my oatmeal on. I'm like thinking, man, you don't go out and eat, but real t learned. You know, probably learned from Vampiro when he was in Mexico with him and Vampiro was blowing through money like crazy. And he wasn't, you know, smart guy with his money and always a good friend of mine come out. He, I'd get him to show, I'd get him on shows up in uh, Minneapolis when he could and he'd stay with me. And yeah, really, you can't ask for a nicer guy. I mean, really a nicer guy and knows the business. And now he's lucky enough to be in a position there where I hope he keeps it for as long as he wants. And I know he'll have money when he's done. And, uh, Great guy. Cool, bro. Um, so how do you feel things went when you and Lodi became known as 2XS? I know it was also known as XS and he was also mm -hmm. known as Idol and then Rave. And as we mentioned every week, it seemed like there was a different name going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it frustrating that the same magic wasn't there from months prior with the gimmick that you previously had? And it just seemed like, geez, this is uh, frustrating to see. I don't think I looked at it as frustrating. I looked at it as fun to try to do something different and, and um, just be back out there again, doing kind of what we kind of wanted to do, which was, you know, that's kind of what we did. I mean, we went out, we didn't take ecstasy, but we would go to the clubs, we would do techno dances. And, you know, back then, you know, the guys wouldn't dance because you're too cool to dance, right? But we realized yeah. really quick, if you dance with the girls, that's what they like. Yeah. So, we didn't have any problems going out there and just, you know, we, we had fun and that's kind of what we did. And, you know, we would have the matches with the mama Lukes and, you know, disco yeah. and, you know, and, and, um, Johnny the bull. <clears throat> and yeah, we, I enjoyed the time. Um, we were just there, you know, nobody knew what to do with anybody at that point. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so your last WCW match as a team was on WCW Worldwide on March 29th, 2000 against Los Velanos. Uh, why were you guys taken off TV soon after this? Mm, you know, I don't know. I don't know why we were taken off TV soon after that. I don't know if the booking changed and, you know, there's so many guys there and people forget. I, I don't really know why. But yeah, we were taken off TV. And then shortly after that, Lodi was let go. Right. And I was still there. And then Vince Russo got his hands back in there at the time and wanted me to. And so my last match with the company was a loser go through the table match. They're never, you know, they're fired from WCW. Right. So it was me in the wall, Jerry the wall. He went through the table. Yeah. I was, he went into MIA. And I was never seen again. That's insane, right? Because I just watched yeah. that match the other day. Well, actually, last yeah. night. Um, and because like, you'd been off TV for a while, then you suddenly appear for this thing with the wall. And if you win, you get your contract back with WCW, and then you're not on yeah. there next week. Yeah. I was um, actually down, I was down in uh, Tampa staying with Mike in Clearwater, Mike Moran. And they had called me because I hadn't heard anything. You know, I was out there in the crowd with the sign will work, you know, help me work a couple nitros. And then yeah. that thing just dropped off. And then they brought, they called me out of the blue and I said, Hey, I'm in Florida right now. I can't be taping tomorrow. I wasn't supposed to be there. And he goes, well, you need to get here. I go, I don't have my gear. 
what am I going to wear? They said, well, just get here. So I wore an Empire. Mike used to bounce at Empire along with Al Green and a bunch of other wrestlers. Right. So I wore the Empire shirt, my, my, uh, my jeans and tennis, which is kind of fitting to have a table match, I guess. Yeah. And so that's what I wore out there that time. Right. I was so sick. At this point, I'm sick with the company. Right. The company's unorganized. They don't know what they're doing. They're just throwing shit at the wall. They're, they're calling me up when, you know, giving me a day's notice, like, Hey, you're, you're working tomorrow. And then I remember disco was kind of in on the booking too, a little bit. And he was wondering why I didn't have my stuff. And I'm like, disco, this, I'm not supposed to be working. Vince Russo was building this thing up week after week after week, because so many times we throw these two, we'll throw Jindrak and O'Hare out there and expect them to get a pop. Nobody even knows who they are. Great bodies. But if you maybe gave them some characters and built them up for a little bit with something, they would actually get a reaction when they came out there. So this angle, and I talked to Vince Russo about this, this needs to go for a while before we do something. So it means something, you know, kind of like the old WWF ways of doing things. When they introduce you, you wouldn't see like nails, the convict, you'd hear this voice, yeah. Kevin Kelly, love him. Tough son of a bitch. You know, talking that voice about the boss man. Then when he comes out, you're like, oh gosh, here's this guy who's been after the boss man. Exciting. That's the kind of stuff I like. So he agreed we were going to do this. I'd been out there like two times. Then I missed a nitro, did a thunder, and it wasn't on there for a week. So I figured, well, that must be done. And then they bring me back. Like they call me a day before to do this match with the wall. I was pissed. You know, I told Terry Taylor, I said, this is bullshit. You know, I don't even have my gear here. You call me. You know, whatever. So, all right. Um, so, when did you find out that you were going to be released? Uh, who called you? And I think JJ Dillon did. I sat at home, and meanwhile, I just had signed a new deal, so I was going to get paid for a year, whether I went to WWE. You know, oh, oh brilliant! I was getting. Now let's go back to that. The WWE was about to buy. You know, WWE was about to purchase them. I had gotten let go, oh, not too long before that happened. Right, yeah. And I remember everybody having to go up there for the small downside. You know, we were getting guarantees whether you worked or not. You know, it's all the pay scales different up there. Yeah. But um, I remember um, they said that I still get paid for a year. So I figured, well, gosh, I won't have to go up there for a year. You know, I'll sit here, get my body right. And then in a year, I'll go up there. Well, yeah. you know, with the politics, the business and all the backstabbing and all that kind of stuff up there, I never really got a true shot to get up there. And yeah. so that's kind of how that happened. Right. Um, so did you stay in touch with Lodi after your releases? And um... No, actually, when Lodi got released, you know, <clears throat> I'd called him. And we had talked, and then when Vince Russo had me doing that sign thing in the crowd where I'd hold the sign, we'll, want, we'll wrestle for food or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, not thinking about that was his gimmick, right? He was the sign guy. Oh, so shit. I remember he had, a, he had a friend called Toad. Yeah. Um, from the North Carolina scene. And yeah. uh, I remember Lodi, after the first time it was on there, called me, and I was in the, I was talking with, and just bitching at me all about how I stole his gimmick and shit. And I, I couldn't wrap my head around it. Right. And then he just hung up at hung up with me afterwards. And I was like, what the fuck, you know? So then Toad called me afterwards and said, he's really upset, you know, and 
uh, he's been having a couple, uh, drinking a little bit, and he just unloaded. So I didn't talk to him anymore after that. I right. mean, I guess I felt kind of bad, like, but I, it wasn't my idea to do that. I mean, you probably you, went, you probably weren't thinking that this was going to. I be, wasn't. Yeah, wasn't like it was something that, that they told all. you to do. Like what? Right. What something else are you going to do? But thinking where, understanding where I understand where he came from now. Kind of after he said that, it was kind of like, wow, yeah, this is kind of is his gimmick, and. You know, I really felt bad. And then I didn't get to see him again until we went over to Australia. And that right. was the very first time we we got to see each other again. Okay, 2000, cool. Um, 2002. Yeah. Um, oh, that's the next question after this one. Um, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on the WWF's invasion angle with WCW coming in. Because we've asked everyone because we want to make a big video of all of our interviewees and their thoughts on, on how that went. Well, I thought they dropped the ball. I think egos got in the way, you know, Vince wanted every, you know, that whole Vince Ted Turner fight. Who's the billionaire. Who's the smartest guy. Who's got the best company. And if he would have left that alone and kept these two companies separate and had guys bouncing over made it, you know, instead of having to announce to the world that, you know, you, you beat Ted Turner, and now, by the way, we're going to bring your guys up here and we're going to show that the WWE guys are better and bury them or, you know, just whatever they did. You know, some of them guys, it just goes to show that guys who fit in the WWE don't necessarily fit in the WCW and vice versa, no matter where you go. Yeah. I always said Booker T was a WWE guy in a WCW ring. Yeah. I always said that he... He was the guy. I mean, if anybody was going to go fit into that system, he was that guy. Jericho obviously made the transition, but that was before they bought it. But, yeah, I, I said from the get-go, he's the guy. And a lot of them other guys weren't the guys. They're used to, you know, it's hard to go by running the show like the NWO did and Buff and all them to now being told what to do. And guess what? If you didn't do it, you weren't going to – Say, well, yeah. I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to go home. Well, guess what? You're going home and you're getting let go. Yeah. You know? So I feel they dropped the ball with the whole invasion angle. I think they could have made it way better than they did. That could have gone for years, I think. Oh, just that's just my thought on it. Just keep them separate. If you had Shane go down there and run it, so be it. Maybe people could figure it out on the sheets, you know. But the average person's not reading the sheets back then. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't know. So – I think it would have been good. Yeah. As a fan back then, I didn't know what was going on until I saw it on television, especially down here. Um, mm. So you and Lodi reform in, uh, uh, when you go on the, the WWA's Australian tour. Do you have any stories from your trip to Australia with the World Wrestling All-Stars? Yeah. Nathan Jones, big, impressive guy. We used to talk on the bus. He used to cut promos all the time. We had to work with them. And he would kill us on that choke slam. I'd say, listen, I'm allowing you to pick me up. He's a strong guy. We all know his past. I said, but if I don't want to go out, I'm going to make you look like shit. So you need to start laying us down right. And, you know, so we worked with Nathan Jones. I remember one story where they brought in a couple of girls from uh, Adelaide, I think it was. And uh, they were supposed to be for uh, the King and Brett, right? Right. Well, we're all sitting there with Brett and King, and I can tell jokes. Lodi's an entertaining guy. The King, he's obviously a funny guy. Brett, eh, not so much. 
And the girls were kind of glomming on to us because to them, we're all wrestlers, right? Yeah. Plus we're a little younger than the King and uh, Brett. And I yeah. remember Jeremy Borash coming up to us and goes, he pulls me over because I know Jeremy Borash because I let him, allowed him to get in this business when nobody else wanted to come in the independence. But everybody seems to forget that when they need help to get somewhere that people forget where they come from. Yeah. So if it wasn't for me, allowing Jeremy to come in the back and getting to know the guys back up in Minnesota when he used to run some radio show for some fat broad who used to have a more, a daily show down there in Minnesota when he started coming around the thing, you know, people didn't want him in the back. And I said, Hey man, this guy's a good, and we became friends. We would go out and all kinds of stuff, but it's friends. It's funny when you get somewhere and you're forgotten about, not like I give a shit, but it's just funny. Right. Yeah. So I remember him coming up to me and going, Hey, these, uh, girls are kind of for the king and Bret Hart. And I'm like, well, I don't give a shit who they're for, you know? And I think uh, Lodi ended up seeing one for a while. I didn't see any of them, but that's a funny story. Um, here's a funny story. They started having, Jarrett was working his way in there. This is before TNA. I think TNA was starting to be on the burner. Uh, um, what was the promoter's name again? Andrew McManus. Andrew McManus was kind of having him. So to me, I want to have the best match all the time. And uh, these Australians, the hardcore fans were following us from town to town. It wasn't that far. You know, when we were yeah. on Sydney, we would go up and they would follow, you know, come back. So we would always change the match around. So we were wrestling Conan and um, Nathan Jones one time. So instead of getting the heat and allowing Nathan Jones to come in, I said, you know, and this is, by the way, after – uh, Jared, Jeff beat Nathan Jones with his finish on the pay-per-view. Let's, let's switch it around, get the heat on Nathan Jones. Two-man style, you can probably find the video. We used towels, chairs, always double-teamed him. He'd always fight back. We got to the back, and Jeff comes up to me and says, why did you do that? Why did, why did you take the hate on Nathan Jones? That didn't make any sense at all. I go, Jeff, I said, we don't want to go around. I said, these people are following us. I said, I don't want, you know, even though the business is being really starting to be exposed at this yeah. time, I don't want to expose the business, right? No. I want to have a different match. I want to learn different things, try different things. And he was like, that made no sense that you two were beating up Nathan Jones. I go, Jeff, we're the same size as you and you beat him clean with your finish on the pay-per-view. <laughs> and there was a started rift. And then we, people were going too long on their times, right? So what I did one time was, I had a stopwatch. I used to time myself when I trained. I wore it to the ring. Click, when we walked out, they said, you guys go no more than 15 minutes. Click, and I hung it on the thing, on the ropes, and then I looked at it, time to go home, and click, so we got back in time. Well, he went up to loading, goes, what's Lenny trying to make fun? I don't know what he actually said to him, but he said something to him like I was trying to mock him. I wasn't trying to mock him. I was trying to make sure, because when you're out there, you don't know the time. Yeah. So... You know, and I don't know what the ref's deal was. Usually he would tell you the time, but I don't think that was the case. So, yeah, that, that's how that went. And I just wasn't trying to mock him or anything. But me and him, I love Jeff Jarrett. I loved his work. I'd always make him tell me the story about he held up with, with China and held up Vince for that money before he left, uh, you know, when his contract ran out. And you know that story. But, yeah, um, yeah but it was like, what? Here's a dude that... I thought really knew the business is telling me to have the same match night after night and that it didn't make sense for two guys to beat up one guy when I'm just as big as you, if not bigger. Yeah, now. exactly. So that Very was some of the things I remember about it. 
Cool, man. And uh, I'm glad, though, that you said earlier that you really enjoyed our country and all that stuff. And um, Oh, this will... is a funny story, too. McManus is going to go on tour, and he's going to put guys on contract, right? Right. So he brings Lodi and I in to talk about money. And so he sets us down. He starts talking about Savage. You know, yeah, we're bringing Savage in and blah, 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 blah. And we stopped him right away. He's like, hey, we don't care about Randy Savage. You know, when you, like I told you, the architect story, you need a base before you build a top. Bring him in. That's fine. And, and, and we go, well, what kind of money are you talking about here? He said, well, I think we're, you know, we're going to put guys on, you know, so like you, about 27 grand a year. Oh, oh what? Jesus. Look, what? 27 grand? You're out of your mind. And I think at that point, we just went, we got up and left. It's like, right. out of your mind. Because he's trying to tell me, well, you're not going to be working all the time. It's like, yeah, no, not doing it. Not happening, Captain. That's a money mark. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I want to ask this question where were you ever hit with debris thrown by fans, maybe a gumball in Dublin Island after cutting a promo on U2 and Bono. I remember. Yep. We were, <laughs> that stuff was being thrown at us there and that night. Yeah. We thought that place was intense. Cause that was the first stop when we came to that England tour, we went to Ireland first and then went to England and that place was intense. So yeah, I do remember that. I used to be tight with, uh, um violent j from icp and uh so i worked for them quite a bit and i remember always getting hit with shit there you know what i mean the, 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 the juggalos you know yeah i was gonna bring that up later on um mm -hmm. working on those juggalo shows um after uh your time with wwa you work the xwf tapings and unfortunately that company never takes off um, so after your WWA tours and that little experience you had there, what were your plans in wrestling or beyond? Well, just to do independence until Jerry Jarrett called me and said he was opening TNA yep. and he wanted the gay gimmick in there. And I said, you know, I just don't think it can work now. We're getting into a new era of things and I just don't think it works. Plus Lodi had a broken neck at the time. Yeah. But, you know, just like usual promoters are promised, oh, we're going to put the straps on you. We're going to make you the tag team champs. Well, I don't care. What are you going to pay me, you know? So I said, and Lodi's got a broken neck. And he goes, well, do you know Alan Funk? I go, yeah, I know Alan Funk. He goes, well, would you do it with him? If I said, sure, yeah, because I liked Alan Funk. He was a power plant guy who came in there yeah. and always a hard worker. He was did Kiwi for a little bit. And, and uh, yeah, so I said, sure. And then we did it there. And me, uh, myself and Road Dog had a match one time. We didn't do anything. We had the crowd eating out of our hands, right? Yeah. Or first off, we lost to AJ Styles and, and um, Jerry Lynn. And Jerry Lynn was actually hurt. Or I can't remember if he was actually hurt or it was an angle. But we lost to them in the tag team championships. And it was like, wait a minute. We're going to be the tag team champions. We're an established tag team. You're going to tag these two guys up who've never been tagged before, and they're going to beat us. You, so you can understand where this, you know, yeah. where you believe not what you hear, right? I remember to this day, and then my flights from Mini were too much to Nashville. So they called and they said, hey, do you mind if we fly you to Atlanta and you can drive up? I said, sure, I didn't mind. So I fly the two hours to Atlanta, drive up with Alan or AJ Styles, we get to the town, drive back, you know, and I take flights. So I'm traveling eight hours. Then they wanted to cut my money. I told them no. I had a match. My last match there was with Road Dog, just him and I. 
and um, had the crowd eaten out of our hands. I went to the back and I was talking to Jerry and Jeff and then we're sitting at the table and Brian Christopher comes up and goes, Jerry, you're going to make a, this guy's going to be the most over guy in your company. You're going to make so much money with him. And I seen Jeff's look on his face and I knew that was my last night there. And it was. Right. Oh, bloody hell. Yeah. Um, so well, the next question was, was the teenage experience frustrating? You've just answered that for me. Yeah. It was frustrating when my buddy, David Weber, Mortimer Plumtree went down there and was doing everything for them. And they weren't paying him enough to where he can even have his own place to live. He was living on a couch. At, he was living on Bob Ryder's couch, moved his, you know, moved away from his kid to, to make this dream and start a better life for him. And I mean, did everything they asked. And then at the end, it's like, okay, you can go home now. It's like when they keep all these other people, yeah. they always baffle, you know? Fucking hell. Um, yeah. So in 2002, you work a dark match on WWE Velocity. Um, how did the opportunity to work back there take place? Who did I work with? Was uh, that Paul London? I think it was Paul London, yeah. Yeah, I just, they called, they were in town, they called me. They always wanted to look at me, you know, they always interested to see what's going on. So, you know, I, I would go and do shots for them once in a while. Most of the time I wouldn't get to work. But that particular time I did, I wrestled that Tyson Tomko one time. Yep. He was green, uh, didn't know where the cameras were and stuff, and uh, worked with him. Um, yeah, that was during those early days. Yeah, that was about what that was happening. I was just doing independence, doing my own thing, you know. So it wasn't you actively trying to uh, get a job there? It was just they would call you anytime they needed someone when they, yep. they were in the I area? Tried to act I came up with a couple storylines towards the end. Probably, you're probably talking... 08, 09, 2010, right around in that time. Um, I came up with a couple ideas, pitched it to them. They, they would come. And of course, I would never get to work. Um, my, last, my last interactions with Johnny Ace was, you know, they'd call me, bring me down and I wouldn't work. I wouldn't call Johnny Ace. I would, I would call JR and kind of say like, that's pretty shitty, you know. You guys bring me in for these two tapings. You tell me, hey, you know, I didn't call you. You called me. And then I don't even work or even get talked to and get avoided the whole time. I know you guys are busy, but somebody should have taken the, the time to talk with me for a couple minutes and tell me what's going on. Right. But, and so what happened is Ross must have called Laurenitis and chewed his ass out. Right? right. Yeah. So Laurenitis calls me and says, who am I to call Jim Ross and stuff like that? And Norman smiling. I'm not going to bring this up because I don't want Norman to get in trouble, but, uh, I wrote, a, I wrote an email, uh, John Laurinaitis wrote, uh, wrote me this thing and called me average and all that kind of stuff. Right. So I said, I said, you know, I said, I'm not saying I'm the best worker in the world. I said, but there's 55% of your talent up there that couldn't lace my boots that I could work just as good as I said, you know, this is all, about getting a break in the business. I said, as you recall, as being the official flag waver for the sheep herders, if it wasn't for your brother, who knows what you would have done, you know? And at the end, I signed it Mr. Average, right. Lenny Lane. He calls me and he goes, man, this Mr. Average might have something. 
So I came up with a gimmick for Mr. Average, and I don't know if it was his way of just playing with me to try to get my hopes up or stuff. But right. nothing ever came of it, but it was a pretty good, pretty good gimmick where I was just Mr. Average, your average every day. I wrote up a whole storyline similar to the similar to the gay gimmick and never came to fruition, never got to do it. I wish I would have because it would have gotten over. Um, and that and then I came up with a, a single white female gimmick for me in Jericho. So the last time I went up there, um, and I don't know what year this was, Jericho was just going, I think, for the first time where he was going away with Fozzie. So I had this storyline and I pitched it to Chris. I said, hey, you know, I have this thing where it's a single white female gimmick and blah, 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 blah. Do you mind if I pitch this? He goes, no, go ahead. Uh, you know, if you can get a job with it, great. So then Heyman wanted to hear it and Heyman heard it and loved it. Now, whether he was lying to me or not, because he likes to lie, apparently, yeah. you know, and I already knew that. So, so then I wanted to pitch it to Stephanie, but, and I knew her and Hunter and I knew Hunter was getting in on it. This is when Hunter was making his way in and I knew they were, you know, they were going to, they were either already married or something. So I went to Hunter and I said, Hey, you know, I'm going to pitch this thing to Stephanie at the end. And I could kind of tell the fakeness going on there a little bit, you know? I said, I'd like you to hear about it too, just to, you know, to hear your thoughts on it. Okay, brother. Well, it's the end of the night. He's taking his dear time. He's hopping in the shower. You know, you got to find these people when you get the chance. I walked down the hallway, there's Stephanie. I pitched this whole idea to it. She's listening to me intently and liking it. So I get down and, and I go back in the locker room to get my bag and Hunter gets out of the shower. He goes, hey, we'll find Steph in a minute and we'll pitch. I said, well, I kind of already did. You know, I, I couldn't find you, so I just started pitching to him. Do you want to hear it? He goes, well, no, if you already pitched it to her, that's good, you know. So I get home, and the next day on my fax machine is a release wanting me to release that idea to them so they can talk about it in the meeting. Uh, yeah. So I called the legal department. I said, hey, the whole idea why I gave you this idea is to have me do it. Yeah. Okay? No other reason, right? And this might have been actually before the Mr. Average one because – Lita and Mickey James did this. It was my gimmick, that single white female. Remember the Mickey James yeah. where Trish Stratus was it Trish Stratus and Mickey James? Yeah. That was my gimmick and they put All it right. on them. So right. that really got a bad taste in my mouth um, and started really pushing me away from the business a little bit, even though I had opened up a business. I was 2007. I opened up a birthday parties for kids business and I started to train guys and I did that through 2011. And then one of the guys I trained was 40 years old. His name was Greg McDonald. You know, not too many guys start the business at 42, right? Yeah. And he goes, you know, I want to do this because I want to learn how to wrestle, but I want to run shows. I think I, he sold cars and stuff. And I think I can do this. So uh, he started this promotion, Primetime Wrestling. I helped him with it. And I'll tell you what, I allowed, I put a stop to the, you know, in independent, I want in the independence, I want you to have your freedom. I realized how important characters were. I import how important storylines were. And I knew how important me not to allow you to have total freedom in the ring to expose yourself and look like shit was. So I would go into everybody who would have a match. I'd put, you know, I wouldn't put the two best guys on the card together. That doesn't make sense, because then I have one good match. I would sprinkle the talent around and tell them, hey to the really good guys because they'd be down because they want to wrestle their friends, right? I'd say, hey, listen, 
I'm going to make you better by you making this guy look like a million bucks, right? So these guys would get together. They'd tell me what they're doing. I would take stuff out. I said, no, you're not going to do that. You're going to do a few things good rather than a lot of things shitty. And that's how I kind of controlled it a little bit. You know, I still let them do kind of how they wanted. I give them ideas on characters and stuff. And we made a couple characters. He ran that building for five years. My last match was 2013 with Arya Davari, who's now in the WWE. Um, that was my last match because I was kind of, I was getting, I was, I was kind of skin sick of the business. I liked that little gig, but I was sick of the rest of the business and how it was going and how they were exposing it and how a joke they were making it. Yeah. And I was trying to make this like the little, like old AWA days where you had characters and the people could get, he put, we put 400, 350 to five, 350 to about 450 people in there month after month. We would, and that's unheard of. We would run from, September all the way to May, we'd have like a WrestleMania, take the summer off and run it again. He did that for five years and always drew them steady houses. I left in, um, to move down here in 15. So he ran it for like another year and a half after I left. Right. Wow. Um, I, I wanted to scale back quickly just to this match you had in, the WWE's version of ECW against Jack Swagger. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in 2008. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's what there's something that I do want to say about this, but um, what was that experience like? Um, <laughs> what I want to say is is that I don't understand why they have this video library, and you are Lenny Lane, former WCW Cruiserweight Champion. You're wrestling Jack Swagger in WWE ECW. You don't get an entrance. The match lasts maybe a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they don't talk about how you're a former WCW Cruiserweight Champion. Maybe show some footage of US Cruiserweight Champion whilst you make an actual entrance to the ring. Instead, you're mm-hmm. already in the ring and you lose to Jack. Uh, what was that all about? Well, that was one of, again, them nights that I, they brought me in and I didn't do anything. I was sitting there at the time. I realized the board's up. I'm not working, Right. Yeah. I know Jack Swagger's work a little bit. I can, and I see this kid they got him with. The kid takes off his shirt. He looks like shit. Oh, Meanwhile, man. I'm eating catering. Like I'm not working now, so I don't have to worry about it, man. I'm bloated <laughs> as all fuck. I'm like not working. Arn Anderson comes to the back and goes, hey, Laurinaitis wants to talk to you. I knew what it was about. This, so they go, hey, do you want to work with Jack Swagger? It's going to be John Swagger. Jack Swagger, it's going to be like a squash match and stuff like that, but Vince will see you. You know, and I really don't care yeah. who see Vince is going to watch him because this is Vince's boy. He's developing them, blah, 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 blah. And I go, really, I don't care. I'll do it, right? Yeah. So I go up to meet Jack, and he starts telling me, you know, when I go behind you, I need you to drop down to your right knee, and then you give me your left hand. I go, whoa. I go, dude. I've trained with Brad Rangans. I know how to do some amateur stuff. Don't worry about it. And then when I took off my shirt, you know, I'm probably 230 at the time, took off my shirt and stuff. He was worried about putting me in that move of his. He's like, oh, how much do you weigh? Oh, about 230. He goes, oh, you know, so he's not sure. You know, he's ner- he gets nervous as all hell out there, right? The, right. the ref told me how nervous he was going to be in there. Right. So I go, don't worry, dude. I'm going to go up like a feather. You're not even going to know I'm there. 
Yeah. So we had this little match, and basically that was it. And that was it. Right. Because I remember saying it, being like, "That's fucking Lenny Lane." Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just feel like the win for Jack would have meant more had they gone on about that, the fact that you were a former WCW Cruiserweight champion and all that stuff. But right. So, but it wasn't planned at all. You know what I mean? They right. that was like ten minutes this, before the match. They really? realized this kid. This kid was literally probably about five six and looked like he probably should have been a chef at the. Uh, Waffle House. Okay. <laughs> okay. The minute I seen him, because he was running around with his shirt and stuff on all day, warming up and stuff, I was in catering, and he, I, it was right, the, the entrance was almost by catering. Yeah. I, I said the minute he took his shirt off, I go, Dakota Darso is down there with me, because I trained Barry Darso's kid, Dakota. Right. I said, they're going to ask me to work. You watch. Sure right. as shit, they asked me to work. <laughs> Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so uh, I wanted to, yeah, as you mentioned before about working for uh, the clowns there with the gathering of the juggalos, what was the experience like wrestling there? Incredible. Um, you know, they really had something there, man. It was like a cult. I remember we went to, Lodi and I went to, um, oh, what's the capital of Illinois? Oh, it's a starts with the P, I believe. I can't remember the name of it, right? But it's a little town. Right. We got there and stayed overnight, got up the next morning to walk to this restaurant place. And it's like they dropped the bomb off in the city and there was bodies laying everywhere. These kids just this the the gather the, the cult like atmosphere, right? Yeah. And this was right after their last Joker's Wild Card album was done, right? That album, nobody knew what was going to happen to the clowns. So they packed everybody in this civic building and Violent J went out there and gave his speech and he asked me to listen. So I listened and I said, I seen people crying. I seen people go, if it wasn't for you guys, I would have never got my bachelor's degree in journalism. I seen grown people standing up with their young kids. I was like, what on earth? So he goes, Lenny, what did you think? I go, I don't mean any disrespect, but this is David Koresh shit right here. He goes, that's exactly what it is. And man, I never met a nicer bunch of people that they don't fight each other. And, you know, they're doing drugs. They're getting messed up. They would share with you. I seen people would come down there. They'd spend every last dollar on merch that they had. Would spend, you know, we went to the campgrounds for a while and did it at this particular campground. People would give them food. Would always, it was amazing. So, and I liked the clowns. You know, they loved the business. Eh, did it help the business? No, but you know, they gave guys work. Yeah. And um, so the last time I ever worked with the clowns. I was 35, right? They brought Vanilla Ice in. This is before he got his show and everything on the, the re, fixing up houses and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I remember I was leaving the campground to go back to the hotel and Violent J and, and, uh, and uh, Vanilla Ice pull up on the car and he wants me to hop on the back because we're going to go through there and tear people's tents down. You right. know, dude, I'm 35. You know, I'm, I'm a kid at heart too, but I ain't into that shit, you know. <laughs> I said, no, dude, I'm heading home. He's like, no, jump on there and blah, 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 blah. And I said, no, you know, I'm not really into it. And I think the fact that I turned him down when in, in front of Vanilla Ice, but I just remember how odd word was, how odd it was as the golf cart pulled away and Violent J was just staring at me like, 
You know, the end of a movie when the bad guy gets taken away. <laughs> yeah. It was like that almost. And I never worked for him again. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but I didn't care, you know? Yeah. Um, so the West Hollywood blondes get back together for a WrestleCade battle Royal a couple of years ago. You got your own entrance and got a great reaction. How good did it feel to, you know, the team has still got it after all these yep. years? Well, we purposely did that because, uh, you know, I fell out of love for this business. I've, I've since moved on with my life and been doing a bunch of other things, but Lodi called me and he's had called me in the past to do stuff. And I always turn him down. I'm like, nah, you know, I'm not, I'm not into it. So I saw Cody Rhodes and uh, Dustin have that match. AEW sparked my fire again. I mean, right. you can still do this shit. People still buy this shit. This is what I'm about right here getting emotions. Like I said, you go to Circus de Soleil twice, you're done. But yeah. now we can bring characters back into this and they do some things I don't necessarily like, but I'm like, Lodi called me for this thing. And then the guy called me and said, Hey, you want to work the battle Royal? It's like, we're on me and him got in the best shape. And it was nice because when we took our stuff off, people were looking like, Holy shit, you know, and it only yeah. it was a battle Royal who cares, but um, yeah, it was great. It was That's great to be back with him. Um, and I'm in the midst now of putting something back together again. I've got a good storyline, a good angle. I'm ready. I've already written part of it. It's going to involve Lodi and Alan Funk. Wow, cool. It's going to be good. Oh, I hope, I hope it happens, man. I haven't decided yet if I'm going to actually film some things first and then send it to somebody rather than, than make a call. Because, uh, you know, Lodi's training Arn's kid there. Arn's, Lodi, I don't know if he told you that, but he's training Arn's kid at, the, at his wrestling school right now. We have a couple of different contacts. Um, but, yeah, I've got something really good I'm going to pitch and give it one last chance. I've probably got a three-year run in me. I couldn't probably have a WWE run. I don't know if my body would handle that night after night. But I could definitely do this AEW, you know, Impact, whatever ones would have us, you know. So we'll see what happens. Cool, man. Um, you know, just you saying that, like, I would say don't bother with WWE because whatever the idea is, they will fucking ruin right. it. Right, yeah. Everything that they do these days, um, I don't watch it anymore because everything that they do is always uh, a subpar version of what it could be. But, you know, I'd say a company like Impact Wrestling, you know, Johnny Swing yeah. is there. That would be a pretty cool thing to see. Um, yeah. Especially once all this pandemic stuff is over and there's crowds again. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I would love to see something with you guys because I think you three deserve the perfect exit. From you know what I always didn't understand about this business, Carl, was, you know, speaking of, I'm just speaking for us three, but there's yeah. many more. We always showed up ready. You never had to ask us if we're ready. We're always in shape. We always can do it. We can always we'll work hard. We want to do the best we can. And it just seemed like the business shit on guys like that. You know, it's like it was always your friends and you got to get your friends jobs and shit. And I trust me, I get it. There, if I probably was running a company, I'd probably find a spot for my friend. But if it didn't fit what I wanted to fit, I would probably have to talk to him and say, hey, you know, this just doesn't work. You know, we're trying to make money here. And, but what I didn't understand is how guys that are goofs and do drugs with the right guys and stuff, they always seem to fall in shit and smell like roses. And here we are working hard. You know, it's like I always used to say, they used to bring in Gangrel for them Saturday night tapings. 
or them universal tapings, Christopher Daniels. I'm saying, why aren't they hiring this dude? This dude's phenomenal. But now as when I started to get pushed and seen like things like that, it's like, oh, no wonder, because they don't want somebody taking their spot, especially up north, because yeah. that's how you know how you make your money and stuff like that. But and that really soured me in this business. And you know, shame on me for letting politics get in the way and killing my passion for the business. But as you hear from a lot of wrestlers who leave, that that's it's gotten to that point. Yeah. You know, whether they don't get pushed or however their personal reasons for why they leave the business. That was kind of the that was kind of the reason for me leaving this business, realizing people had jobs there like Lanny Poffo, who never worked, but because he was Randy Savage's brother, he worked. You could have paid three other guys, Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, you know, Gangrel, three more guys that money. They would get, you know, they would you could develop these guys into great talents. Yeah. And unbelievable. Yeah, uh, and, and you know we've interviewed Alan, we've interviewed Lodi, and I feel like it will be so nice that you three get to uh, have your exit from wrestling the way that you would like to have it end. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. you know, Alan told me about what his experience was like when he uh, was in developmental in WWE and how it seemed like all the WCW guys that were there were only being used to help get the talent that they had already there. Uh, better and then once those talents got better then all those wcw guys got released so yeah. i i always felt a little you know i feel bad for alan because you know he was so passionate you're so passionate Lodi's so passionate you guys deserve something something nice to at least you know put that full stop at the end of the sentence my friend and here's the thing we're not too old to do this stuff you know we're still in shape we're, we're yeah. in great shape we look just, like wrestlers compared to um, the guys out there don't even look like wrestlers. Some of them no. do, some of them don't. We look like wrestlers. We look like men. I mean, we bring believability to it. We all know how to work. Um, you know, it's so we'll see what happens, I guess. Cool, bro. I mean, I've seen the Instagram posts from Alan. I've seen the Facebook posts from Lodi. The Jacks, they are in incredible shape. So, I mean, yes. That's yep. what I want to see on TV. I want to see guys who look like I couldn't have a chance with. You know what I mean? Right. I don't like yeah. seeing guys that I feel like I could take. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I right. shouldn't. I shouldn't be able to take any of them. That's how I felt back in the day when I watched WCW and WWF and even ECW. I was like, man, like I wouldn't want to be caught in a dark alley with these guys. Right. Um. So before I get to my, well, these are my last three questions before I get to a segment called five second frenzy. Um, do you have any regrets? Um, like I said earlier, the only regret was me taking that job with WCW, that verbal agreement with them. I don't like to look back and have regrets and, you know, trust me, it's, it's not like I think about it, but if people say that, you know, people say, I have no regrets you have a thought about something that you could have probably did different. And I think I could have done that different. I, that's basically the one thing I, um, I probably look at and probably regret. You, you'll think about that though. But then you'll think, well, if I didn't stay there, then I wouldn't have this friendship with my friend Lodi. So. Oh, know, right. You right. know, you know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like exactly. Yes. 
So it's hard to have a regret when that regret could possibly mean that the timeline of events wouldn't lead you to having a great friendship with someone like that. Right. Um, is there anything that you would like to plug before we uh, get to this uh, segment? No, I don't No, Not anything like I like to plug, but if a lot of indie promoters and stuff, watch your show, know that Alan Funk, Lodi and I are available. Um, and actually we would like to get to work together a little bit because we haven't worked together for a long time. Um, just to, just to solidify a couple things. So when we do this new idea that I've come up with, um, that it can work, you know? So yeah, we're, we're ready, you know? That would be really cool, man, to tie in the West Hollywood Blondes and the Rainbow Express. What's that, that uh, what's that, what's the indie scene over there in Australia like? It's okay. Uh, we've got a little company here in Perth called Explosive Pro Wrestling, which is pretty awesome. Um, there's a few other companies here in Perth, which, you know, not as, they're not as prestigious as this one, but um, yeah. uh, there's uh, some places in Melbourne, which are pretty good too. Uh, MCW, Mel I think it's Melbourne Championship Wrestling, I'm sure. Uh, mm. And a couple in Sydney, but yeah, it's okay. Like, uh, there's a lot of good talent out here and that's why I think there's a lot of Australians showing up in NXT and all that stuff. Wow. There's, there's way more Australians in, in the WWE now than there ever were back in, you know, the nineties and mid two thousands. That's for sure. Yeah. But you know, if you ever want a booking, I can <laughs> try and message yeah, a throw, friend or throw two. Throw our names out. We can come out and make it worth our while and do a little tour out there. Yeah. That'd be great, man. And we can have you over here for a barbecue. Yes. <laughs> um, so before I get to five second frenzy, I just want to ask also, what are you doing with your life these days? Well, um, mental health and pro wrestling go hand in hand, as you can imagine. So when I was traveling the road, my niece now runs the whole, a whole county mental health uh, department. And she would tell me all these stories, people with schizophrenia, dysphoria, disassociative identity disorder, schizoaffective. She'd tell me all these stories and I'd be like on the road going, man, this stuff's better than pro wrestling. You can't write this stuff that she said. So right after, right at about 2010, I went back and got my bachelor's of science in psychology from Penn State and started being a mental health case manager for clients who had severe and persistent mental illness and were dangerous. So after I did that, my wife got an opportunity to move to Florida where we always wanted to move. So we moved down here and I continued it down there. But unfortunately I moved from the land of the resources to the land of minimal resources. In between that, I've learned through all my experience with schizophrenia mostly that we go through this wash, rinse, repeat cycle where we are on our meds, the voices are always there, but when we're on our meds, we can sometimes separate reality from what's not reality. And, um, you know, eventually we quit taking our meds and we end up wash, rinse, repeat. You know, yeah. we go into the psych ward, we come out of the psych ward, we're back home, we're good for a little bit. I started seeing these long-term injections come out where you're not depending on these people to take their meds anymore or cheeking them or pretending they are or whatever they're doing. They're getting an injection 29, 28 to 31 days later, they're coming to get another injection. You ain't worried about them taking their meds and they're steady, right? They're good. So I said, that's it. I'm going back to school because I'm going to be a PA, uh, physician's assistant, and I'm going to 
I'm going to go into mental health and I'm going to put everybody who can be on these long-term injectables on it. We're going to stop this wash, rinse, repeat cycle. So I went and got some prerequisites to go. Well, I only applied to one school and I had an in there. A lady was in there and she was going to, you know, push me through because it's a work, right? The whole world's a work. It's who you know. Yeah. And um, she left. So I applied to one school, didn't get in. I wasn't going to wait around. So I got into a BSN program, Bachelor of Science in Nursing. You know, a, nur- a registered nurse, two-year diploma, Bachelor of Science in Nursing, kind of like the top of the nursing chain. I finished that program in two weeks from now. So I'll have a BSN. From there, I'm going to go into a nurse practitioner's program. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm a little on the edge now. I love mental health, but now I'm into anti-aging. I'm into healthy lifestyles. I've always been into that. Training, healthy lifestyles, peptides. I'm into that stuff now. So I'm kind of leaning towards maybe going that direction. But so I'm, I graduate in two weeks and that's what I've been doing recently. Fantastic, man. That's really, really awesome to hear that you're getting involved in that field. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, you're, you are a great human being, Lenny. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to get to this final segment here now. Uh, five second frenzy and uh, it's essentially I just ask you questions just to learn a little bit about other things in your life that you like and all that stuff and the rule is you have five seconds to answer the questions which is stupid because you know I'm talking to a pro wrestler so sometimes uh, getting five seconds isn't uh, (laughs) isn't possible Um, but here we go who is your favorite musical artist Elton John Cool. Uh, favorite TV show? Oh. Now, now, does it have to be like now or like ever? Or Anytime, what? ever, yeah. Um, oh, HR Puff and stuff. Cool, man. Uh, your favorite film? Oh, gosh. Anything horror, but I love Rob Zombie. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects. Cool. Uh, what's your favorite meal to eat? Chicken and rice. Your favorite alcoholic beverage? I don't drink anymore, but I used to drink Limon Diet Cokes. They were pretty good. Uh, your favorite female body part? Uh, the vagina. <laughs> uh, and it last... is. <laughs> it's a great answer, bro. <laughs> uh, and your favorite curse word? Fuck. Put in the right spot like Shane Douglas does so well. (laughs) Man, them promos, you know, before I used to do independence, you know, before to get wound up to get ready for them, not like I needed to get really wound up, but I'd play old Shane Douglas promos. Dude, if those don't want you to go out there and be a – I've told Shane this too. I just ran into him. Great guy. I love Shane. Uh, Phenomenal promos. And Cornette says fuck in the right spots too. I love it. Yeah. But I think a good curse word, you know, not too much, but right in the right spots is always good. I agree, bro. Fuck. Um, and <laughs> fuck, this was a great interview, man. I really appreciate um, your time with me here today. Uh, and, and what I wanted to say to you before I signed off, and um, once, we're, once I end the episode, I'd like to give you another personal uh, goodbye. But um, what I want to say to you is, is that you should be so proud of everything that you accomplished in the wrestling business. I know that you might've got a little bit disenchanted with it and wanted to exit it at a certain point when um, 
you know, you'd had enough of the bullshit, but you should mm. be so proud with the fact that you had the, your first idea and you got yourself over. It might've only been six weeks, but man, you should be so proud of the fact that you were able to, to do what you did. And, and, you know, I want you to walk away from wrestling with your head held high, just like Lodi, just like Alan, I want you three to walk away with your head held high, knowing that in this little city here in Perth, Western Australia, that there were people that remember you. Yeah, well, thank you. That was nice. But here's the surreal moment. I told you to remind me about this. So I was 22 years old, trying to fit in with this bodybuilding group at a local gym. And there was a manager who was about 26. We started dating, moved in with each other, you know, and I would always watch wrestling. And this is before I moved to Minneapolis to before I found out who Mr. Dynamic was and all that kind of stuff. And I was watching the Caesar Palace one where Kurt wrestled uh, the narcissist Lex Luger. Yeah. <laughs> and when Kurt's coming down with Bobby the Brain Heenan, the girls kind of pass him who carried Lex's mirrors for him when he would pose as a narcissist. And he kind of spit his gum like he always did and hit it. And I'd always rewind that spot because I loved it so much. And uh, that girl, we'd be in arguments and stuff like that. And she'd, anybody who I liked was a fat fucker. Didn't matter if they were a fat fucker or not. They could have the best bill in the, in the world. They were a fat fucker. She goes, <laughs> oh, you think you're going to be like that fat fucker? Oh, you're never going to do anything like that. You're never going to be that. Blah, 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 blah. Fast forward to 1999. This was 92. 99. Me and Kurt are now traveling together. We're friends. We drive from Minneapolis to the different towns. We come on this plane and I look at the stewardess and I'm like, man, she looks familiar. Oh, it's man. her. It's my <laughs> old girlfriend. Holy shit. Here's Kurt, my best bud now. So we sit next to, we sit next to each other on the plane and it's one of these it's a small puddle jumper from Iowa back to Minneapolis. So it's, she's the only stewardess, small little prop plane. Right. Some guy in the back goes, tells her to get Lenny Lane's autograph and that guy sitting next to him. Right. So she comes up and you know, it killed her to say this. She goes, Hey, there's a guy in the back who wants your autograph. I go, Oh sure. Let me pull out a picture. So I pull out a picture and sign that. I go, Hey, Kurt signed that picture. So he signed, I go, here you go. But there you go. That's surreal right there. <laughs> Holy shit, dude. <laughs> Sorry, I totally forgot to bring that up. That's I, all right. I wrote it down as well. What an idiot. Um, <laughs> but again, actually, you know what? Now I'm just remembering a story of me and my friends as kids, and I wanted to quickly tell you this one. There was a, uh, I think you, it was on, uh, maybe, uh, you know, it was on Nitro. You wrestled the Disciple. And you, oh, this is a good one. You did an ultimate warrior impression. And let me tell you this we had this on a VHS tape, and we we're about 12 years old. And uh, it was at my friend Adam's house. And anytime we had a sleepover, it would be like four or five of us guys sleeping over watching wrestling. My friend Reese would be like, Man, let's find the Lenny Lane tape. Let's find the Lenny Lane tape. And one night we couldn't find it for hours. And we yeah. finally found the tape. We put it in. We fast forwarded. We finally found you doing the ultimate warrior impression, laughing our asses off once again. So I just thought that was a pretty cool story. So Terry Taylor comes up to me at Nitro and catering and says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're working with Ed Leslie tonight. <laughs> and I go, oh, I go, hey, he's with the warrior, isn't he? Starting this one warrior nation. He goes, yeah. I go, hey, Terry, do you think it'd be okay if like, 
if he, if he comes to the ring like the warrior, I'll take – because I always wanted to do the warrior, right? Everybody yeah. does. I said, if I take my hair out of my ponytail, scrunch it up real quick, shake the ropes, he goes to shake the ropes, I attack him, he goes, Dad, that sounds entertaining, but you better talk to the warrior about it. I said, sure, I will. So I'm going to talk to the warrior about it, and uh, I run into the uh, beefcake, and I go, hey, he's probably high, right? I go, hey, I said, what do you think if we start the match? Goes, I go, you run to the ring like the warrior? He goes, oh, yeah, I do all that stuff. I go, what do you think if we do this? He goes, I absolutely love it. I go, perfect. I got to go tell the warrior. He goes, I'll tell him. I said, perfect, right? <laughs> so, boom, I'm in the ring. Here comes him walking to the ring. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm still doing the warrior. I don't give a shit. Yeah. So I did it and got to do it. Get to the back. I walk through Gorilla. They go, go to Bischoff's office now. Oh, like, shit. wow, they must be going to tell me how good I did, you know? <laughs> Fucking, he goes, what was that? I go, what, what do you mean, what was that? Now, realize at this point, um, I want to leave. I've already got a little interest from New York, so I can maybe get a tryout up there to see if I can go. So right now, I don't really care, right? Yeah. Um, this is before the whole gay gimmick and everything. So Warrior's in there. And uh, so he goes, why, what were you doing out there being the Warrior? And I go, I'm baffled at this, right? I'm like, what the fuck? He goes, Warrior goes, how can you be the warrior when you're not the warrior? <laughs> now I think I'm on camera. I'm going, fuck, is this, did I walk into a vignette or what's going on here? It's almost jokeable to me. I said, hey, listen, I told uh, Beefcake what I wanted to do. I wanted to tell you, but he said he was going to tell you. And obviously he didn't. So that's all I got to say about the whole matter. And I just left. But right. that was... That's the warrior story right there. <laughs> wow. I had no idea that there was a big, big story behind that. That's awesome, bro. Yeah. I can't wait to tell my friends Adam and Reese about that because, uh, yeah, we used to watch it over and over again when we were kids. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, again, I wanted to thank you for your time tonight, Lenny. And um, after I sign off, I'd like to talk to you a little bit longer just for uh, just a minute. But um, I just, yep. again, want to thank you for your time. Uh, we've gone just over two hours and I really appreciate it. And, um, yeah thank you again yeah well thank you for having me it was my pleasure cool brother and uh thank you to everyone who watched the podcast here in conjunction with the wwe network i am your host california and we will see you next time when we speak to the one and only mark merrow thank you